0: Welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers, my friends. I'm your host, David Johnson, the Skeptic, and I'm joined by my good friend. I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. And today we are back to a regular show, no special guests. It's just yeah. us.
1: Back to normal, yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, we uh, we return to... Uh, our series, and so uh, that's great. At this rate, we will be done with our series sometime in November. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry, we're year? gonna <laughs> twenty twenty. Or... <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not twenty nineteen, um, okay. but uh, you know what? They're fun, and um, it's especially mine. So we're uh, we're back to mine part two: why I stopped caring about what the Bible says, and why you should too. Part two. And uh, the theme for this week, the second reason you should stop caring, is first, I don't understand it, and that's why I stopped caring. And second, neither do you, and <laughs> therefore you should stop caring. Uh, and in fact, I would go as far as to say that anyone who is convinced that they understand the Bible perfectly is delusional. Mm-hmm. So if you, know, if you are one of those people who feels like you really understand what the Bible is saying, I, th- I think you should check yourself in. And if you know someone who feels like that, you should just nod politely and back away. Uh, because this is, this is not a, a very comprehensible piece of literature, just as a piece of literature. Never mind the Bible is spiritual writing, just as a piece of literature. I, I believe it is incomprehensible, um, and so my argument in my blog, I, I pointed out some examples and tried to make that case, but the case that I really want to make today is it's not just that you don't understand the Bible, it's that you can't understand the Bible. There are some, there are some elements about the Bible that are simply opaque to us and are lost in time, and we simply cannot know. So that's kind of the introduction. That said, before we dive into this subject proper, uh, are there any announcements that we need to make, uh, Mister Dale?
1: Um, I'm, I'm, like, uh, if you're, ref- are you referring to guests, potential guests? Uh, or yeah,
0: any, any anything. Um, any, any follow-up from uh, our past two guests? We had uh, Mike Lacona and Gary Habermas on the last couple of weeks. And so if you missed those episodes, please go back uh, and take a look at those. And yeah. Um, yeah, we are, yeah. we're working on guests in the future. I know that uh, Gary has had some uh, uh, responses to the show. But at any rate, I just, I just thought I would give you a chance to, uh, uh, to round off any uh, unclosed sure. circles before we jump in. Sure
1: so, uh, so yeah, in, in terms of uh, Mike, Mike Lacona show, uh, my, and you know, obviously, both Mike and Gary, I am eternally grateful to you guys for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge. You guys are world-class scholars, and you guys are gentlemen. You did me and David a solid favor by, by coming on. Um, now, I know it's totally with, agree. With Gary, sorry, totally agree excellent yeah i know um yeah um so so yeah both both me and david honestly do appreciate that now i know i know with gary um there has been some sort of back and forth uh with some of the comments and that sort of thing and um you know i you know um i'll just say this look gary wasn't i know some some of the skeptics sort of feel that he was avoiding or purposefully trying to uh, dodge uh, questions that were difficult and that sort of thing. But after, you know, I, I've spoken to him personally, and uh, that that wasn't it. wasn't That wasn't what he was trying to do. I, I get that he didn't give David a, a clear answer about the hell thing that David was looking for. But yeah, I mean, in general, I I think everything else was good. He he explained his notions of doubts. He gave good examples. him, him and David were having a good to and fro there on. Uh, There are different notions of doubt and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I I mean, all in all, I'm thrilled with both episodes. And, yeah, my my hat is off to both of you guys for for doing us that favor.
0: Yes. And uh, although I'm not ready to call the name of our next uh, guest that we have scheduled, we have uh, another very well-known apologist Uh, who is coming on the show. We don't have all the details worked out yet, but uh, an agreement in principle on the subject. And so we'll be making that announcement very soon. Perfect. And
1: yeah, and we've also got a a lesser known Christian uh, apologist who's agreed to come on sometime in April uh, in addition to Uh, we have those Shroud episodes. So uh, Bob Rucker and Hugh Ferry have agreed to come on, and and Barry said he'd come on to do a debate at some point. So that'll be coming on later on spring, summer. So, yeah. That's it for the announcements.
0: Excellent. So uh, let me just dive right into this. Uh, As always, please read the the blogs, because they're always going to make more sense than the ramblings that... um, you hear on the podcast between dale and i <laughs> this is this is just kind of us having fun and spitballing we actually put the thought into the writing that we do um and that's at um and uh, dot and you can get in touch with us via email skeptics and seekers at gmail.com so that said, I'm I'm purposely not uh, recapitulating, re- recapitulating the blog posts that I wrote um, this week. The blog posts are fairly uh, short; they're they're under a thousand words, uh, and so they're they're easy to read. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of pick up. Well, okay, let me let me start with one element of the blog. So I started by by. Um, giving some examples of things that uh, we don't understand from the Bible, things that I think are fairly important. And I picked one example from uh, each category that I wanted to to talk about. So one category is doctrinal. Another category is morality. Uh, and another category uh, is uh, history. And, I, I think these are pretty important things. And all I wanted to do was show that on the subjects of morality and, and history and uh, doctrine, the Bible's incomprehensible. Now, if you think that any one of the examples I gave are things that you can answer, I can, I can just say I can fill a book with examples for each one of these. I just used one example as kind of a representative uh, example, and so we'll we'll see uh, what Dale has to say about these as to whether I need to pull out others. But I think that they're fairly representative. So the first one that I talked about was the doctrine of hell. Now, if you listened to uh, the latest Skeptics and Seekers supplemental with uh, C.J. Morgan, uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, that's also in the feed, so you might want to look back there. The name of it's called "The Truth About Truth." And uh, there was a segment in there where we talked about hell. We talked about hell for a pretty good long time. And CJ has a view on hell that is much closer to the fundamentalist view, but it's seasoned with some some other ideas, one or two unique ideas that I that I wasn't particularly familiar with. For instance, the the timing of the the hell sentence, uh, possibly being only a thousand years, only a thousand years. Um, so some interesting ideas there. And the thing that came out of that conversation that, uh, that I want to just mention here is depending on your view of hell, it it can have a very different outcome as to how someone listens to your gospel, how someone listens to your message. If you were telling me that hell, uh, kind of like Dale was telling me uh, a few weeks ago, that hell is just a matter of, uh, life. Without God, well, people like me are very happy with the idea of life without God. We, when we hear that, we don't hear torment. We, we hear that you know we we get to make our own way without interference. That's that's what we hear, and so that doesn't sound a lot like hell to us. Um, so if if you're giving me an option in the afterlife of, um, either obey God or burn. In torturous flames for all eternity, I might shoot for heaven, right? Because that's a that's a very different uh, kind of punishment than if you say either obey God or live life forever without God. I'm thinking, well, that's what I wanted anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are those are two very different things. And if you don't, if you are not clear on what the Bible is saying about the subject of hell. The outcome of your evangelistic effort, in fact, the choices that, that we make as, as people reading the Bible, are going to be radically different. And I would argue that, that just among Christians, never mind atheists like myself, just listening to one Christian one week and another Christian the next week on the same program gives you very different ideas about what hell is. And they both come from people who claim to have read the Bible and understand what God is saying about it. Um, I, I would I would offer that as Exhibit A on a very important doctrinal matter. You can't sweep this under the rug and say it's not important. Because from my perspective, from someone who is a candidate for going there, I'd say it's absolutely important. Um, homosexuality is another one of those um, it matters where you know it really makes a difference. So this is a moral issue. God on the one hand is saying uh, all homosexuals should be put to death. This this is his Old Testament law. Um, and yet Christians on the other hand, in fact, more Christians than not. So we're we're looking at about fifty four percent according to the latest Gallup. Uh, say that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality and this is based on their understanding of the bible so once again if if we're just if we're just interrogating christians on what the bible says about this critical issue it you know it's a it's a little over half but it's very close to half they are they're split and so depending on which christian you go to if you're a homosexual looking for the truth on what you should be doing, one group is saying, no, you're just fine. God God loves you just the way you are. And uh, yes, absolutely, you can you can marry your partner and live a happy life. And then another, uh, you know, the next person is saying, no, you're going to burn in hell. You've, you're going to have to go through some type of conversion therapy or you're going to have to go through some type of abstinence program. You're going to have to, because your, your orientation is, uh, and lifestyle simply is unacceptable to God. Christians can't get a handle on this subject. It is not a peripheral issue. It is a matter of life and death and afterlife and after death. And I would argue that Christians simply can't figure it out. The Bible is simply not clear enough for the for the modern... Um, good reader with good reading comprehension, all the, the tools of the Bible to figure out. So the last one is young earth creationism. I mentioned, I called this one out in particular, uh, because once again, uh, last week I was in conversation with a young earth uh, creationist, but before that, the, the Christians that I've spoken to, uh, including Dale, I think are, are old earth creationists. Dale, are you old earth or young earth this week? I know it depends on kind of what I ask
1: uh, yeah, so i uh, this is uh, something that I'm not dogmatic on. i I think in terms of biblically speaking, I lean towards i I think it's more probable than not that the Bible suggests the earth is young. um again it's it's not certain though i I'm not hundred percent or or two hundred percent certain like what you said. I, okay, I think it is is
0: your view. On whether the earth is young or old based on what the Bible says or based on what scientists say
1: Uh, so in in this case it's based on what scientists say because the overriding my overriding argument from undue confusion so yeah the the evidence the scientific evidence overwhelms the biblical evidence in that case Um, but again I'm I'm iffy I don't have a firm conclusion on that. So I think yeah. I need to do so more let, research.
0: So let me ask you one other question on this. Uh, uh, if the Bible didn't say anything about the age of the Earth, what would you believe? Take the Bible uh, out of the equation. Yeah, I would
1: definitely, 100%, I would believe the Earth is old, on the balance of probabilities from the scientific evidence. If that's the only evidence to factor in, yeah. yeah so
0: CJ disagrees with you on the science. He thinks that it uh, lends toward... Young Earth. I didn't ask him the question of that. I just ask you, and I wish I had. If you no, remove the Bible from the equation, I, I wonder what CJ would think. Then
1: I'm not sure. I, I can't speak for
0: him. Um, but are, are, do you know if you, let me let me ask you this because I know you're you're well studied. I'm not actually trying to challenge you. Uh, no,
1: before before you do that, just just to back up CJ, even on a scientific basis, even though I think he's very probably wrong in his analysis of the scientific evidence in isolation. Uh I do think that there is a plausible it is plausible that the earth could be young even scientifically speaking. So by that, you know, I give a 5% to 10% probability that maybe the earth is in fact young. Like young earth creationist scientists do interact with all the scientific evidence. They Right. So the
0: question the question that would help clarify that and maybe once again, maybe, you know, and I wouldn't because I haven't studied this question. Do you know of any young Earth creationist scientists who are not religious, uh, part of the Abrahamic uh, religion, Um, atheist young Earthers?
1: uh why i'm not 100 sure on on this person but there was someone at harvard university i think his name was wise but i, I can't remember R- richard dawkins mentions him but i can't remember if he's a christian or not uh to be honest um but I, I think he might not be a christian unless i'm remembering something wrong so yeah i i have no firm knowledge of someone who's not a christian who holds that position let's say that
0: yeah so i don't either um it seems like a position that you would only hold if you had the background information of, of the Bible.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the reasonable person, if, if you just have the scientific evidence, um, you're much more, the, the reasonable person should go with the balance of probabilities, and, and that seems to support the old earth position.
0: That said, we have uh, within the Christian tradition and and the Bible believing tradition, I think that we can open this up to Abrahamic uh, religions because they're they're still reading out of the same part of the Bible. In this case, um, they are split on on the matter of not just whether we have a young Earth or old Earth. It the the facts the facts of these things are almost irrelevant. They're split on whether the Bible teaches a young Earth or an old Earth. This is this is uh, my mm-hmm. point here. Yep. They yeah. they cannot determine whether Genesis one through three is actually talking about an old Earth creation or a young Earth creation. If they can't figure it out, having spent a lifetime uh, of trying, you can't either. <laughs> and so um, these uh, so this this was this is the first part of my case, and since I've taken a little bit of time to go over that, this is not this is not actually most of the case that I want to. Uh, make today. I'm just going to go ahead and pause at this point and let uh, Dale come in with some rebuttal because I know he's got some specific rebuttal to these things.
1: Um, Okay, so this isn't meant to be my intro where I'm talking, you know, sort of defining what inspiration is or that sort of, just rebutting No, so we'll
0: we'll jump into inspiration next, uh, but I I just wanted to give you a chance to jump in uh, so that I wouldn't take up the first 15 minutes
1: okay, so so, in the first place, uh, let let me be clear. I, you know David R was uh, asking me this week, uh, you know what what are the most difficult um, negative evidences against Christianity in my opinion? And um, I have to be honest that this issue uh, on the argument from biblical confusion, um, this is this is the one that I find is the most persuasive on the uh, you know, the skeptical attacks against Christianity. Now, um, obviously, as a Christian, in the full context that I know Christianity is true, um, I don't believe that God does allow any undue biblical confusion. And I, I think, you know, I make that distinction, that qualification of, of course, there's biblical confusion. I mean, the Bible itself, Second Peter 3.16, admits that there are some passages in the Bible that are hard to understand.
0: I'm sorry. Do you think that Second Peter is authentic? That, that's not, I'm, When I when I saw that in your thing, I was kind of surprised that you included that because that is a passage that most scholars would say is not even an authentic uh, passage.
1: Uh, well, what what do you mean by authentic? It's authentic. It's in second life, Peter, it's in as
0: in written by Peter, uh, as in representing so, oh, the thing that it's supposed to be. Most most would say that it is not. I know. Um, so on, so on that front, um, I would say,
1: th- and there's a respectable case on the other side as well that it was written by Peter um, and or a scribe or something like that, um, or sorry, a scribe. That's not our, eloquent and that sort of thing but uh so the the point that i'm why am i quoting this it's in the canon of scripture i don't care who wrote it um whether it was peter or somebody else either way that writer you know that, that was this is inspired scripture okay. so i am fully within my rights to quote this i don't care who had the pen and wrote it down.
0: So we'll we'll talk about that later. We'll get into inspiration. I just I just was curious about that in particular, and I wanted to ask before I forgot it. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Uh, so what was I saying? So so yeah, I, I do sympathize with skeptics here who who say, look, there there are areas of confusion um, in the Bible, but the question I think is, uh, does God allow undue confusion whereby a person can be reasonable? In uh, being confused on matters that would uh, unjustifiably hinder them from achieving their salvation, and this is how I assign various significances—significance uh, in terms of disproving the truth of Christianity—based on this specific area of confusion or, you know, contradiction or that sort of thing. Um, but one thing I just so one thing I wanted to clarify with you, Dan David, is. Would you at least admit, you seem to admit that, look, that there are at least some things in the Bible that are crystal clear? Like if if you quoted a Pew result or a Gallup poll where, oh, look, 15% of Christians are atheists. They don't believe there is a God. Is that the fault of the Bible or the fault of these people?
0: Okay, well, I think that's a fair question. I'm not sure that my answer will be helpful, though. Um, So, uh, are there things that are crystal clear? One of the things that uh, gets me to smile and crack up and giggle is when uh, an apologist says, and the Bible is absolutely clear on blank. (laughs) You know? <laughs> so yeah. that that is one of the things that starts me to chuckle because there really isn't anything in the Bible that's that crystal clear, uh, that oh, that's okay. that indisputable. So that said, there are things as a reader of literature and just just taking the Bible as a piece of literature, it seems pretty obvious to me that it's saying a certain thing. But that said, I spent all of my time in school arguing with my teachers about what uh, what literature meant, <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't we didn't even need to get to the Bible uh, before we got to places where i I think that uh, you know things are incomprehensible so for the for the um edification of the reader, if you want to know where I really come from, I don't just think the Bible's incomprehensible I think most literature is incomprehensible uh and i I think it's that helpful. it's it's, it's an interesting exercise to try to go about and figure out what some ancient dead writer uh, said when they were writing in some other language, uh, and they were writing allegory and so forth, to, to, to talk about what they really meant. But I think there's, we, can, we, can, we can approach what they meant, but we can't get there all the way. And that's with four to eight years worth of intense study in a college.
1: Okay. Okay. That so that is helpful then. So this is just the general problem. Uh, I wouldn't go. I, I wouldn't go nearly as far as you. I, I think it's kind of being a bit ridiculous to say that. At the very least, of course, there are going to be certain things uh, when you read any book where oh, you're reading your own ideas into the text, or you you might not know exactly uh, what you know. So like uh, what an author itself is trying to say, but. You know, in general, I I think when we read a book, we can we can get the gist of uh, you know I don't know name one of your favorite books you you under you have enough of an understanding of what the author was writing. I mean, you you can't just go off on a limb and read the Bible and say, oh, it it believes in the flying spaghetti monster. I mean, it, that you're just right, but I I think you I think you're that. maybe
0: maybe misapprehending some of what I'm saying there. So I'm not saying that that's true of all books. I think that most books are perfectly comprehensible, maybe not one hundred percent, but yeah. I think that I think that they are, by and large, comprehensible. If you just talk about taking a fiction book off of a shelf, they are designed to be e- extremely comprehensible to the average reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 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 nothing in there that challenges you, but that's different from talking about ancient literature. So really? I don't I don't think that. Uh, you can take what I said about ancient literature and apply it to modern fiction yeah. they're, they're two different types of reading uh, it, they're as different from each other as literature is from a menu at a restaurant I can understand a menu at a restaurant I can't understand ancient literature and, and you can't just say well they're both writings you should be able to understand them no you can't
1: okay so yeah. So again, that's a fair enough distinction, but I would take issue. I think even with ancient literature, there are at least some clear things that we can learn. I, I think it is one hundred percent clear that the Bible, as an ancient document, and teaches there is a God. And if you say that's not clear, or that's an area of confusion that I don't think you're honestly grappling with this issue. I think you're just trying to be skeptical to the point of foolishness. As no, a, I a
0: I would ag- I would agree with you that there are some things like that that seem to be very clear but i've i've also listened to scholars who are smarter than both you and me put together like john spong for instance mm-hmm. uh who would challenge that that's a message of the bible your very example if there's if there's this god well yeah. in, in whereas he may not challenge that that's part of the message in some of the bible he would he would challenge that that's a a a an actual literal truth claim um worth following he would he he would read figurative where most people would read literal Uh, and so you know if you if you if you talk about the gospels for instance him and david fitzgerald read the uh, david fitzgerald is is an atheist but they they actually read um the bible in very similar ways and you know if you if you follow their scholarship and the way they read it it actually makes a lot of sense it's a viable option that's on the table
1: okay fair enough um, so yeah so the point that I was trying to get though is I I would blame that I think they're going against the clear teaching of the Bible I, I know that some people can interact with their figurative language but it based on everything, it seems this is an area where the Bible is clear and is not responsible for their confusion. They they're bringing they're reading in their own ideas into the text, uh, and causing confusion in that way. So that wouldn't qualify as undue confusion. God isn't responsible in that way. Now that said, on the flip side, to move. Wait, 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 hang, on. hang on,
0: hang on. So th- I just want to make sure that I'm that I'm riding with you the whole trip. Um, I want to be clear. There are things that seem clear to me. And in fact, I I think that we would agree on many things that seem as clear to me as they do to you. But I am acknowledging what you don't seem to be acknowledging is that there are other interpretations, even of, of those things that seem clear. And whereas those other interpretations may be a lower percentage, uh, probability of being the case, they're still on the table.
1: So put it this way, I, I would say those interpretations like of John Dominic Crossan and Spung are unreasonable. And therefore, this get, I, I don't think I, I get that they're scholars, they're smarter than you and I. But that doesn't mean that they're wise uh, necessarily. right? You can be the smartest guy in the world. Uh, those particular interpretations, in light of the biblical data uh, and scholarship, whatever resources you have, I don't find those to be reasonable explanations in the same way other areas of confusion I might say well yeah skeptics have a, a point this there's a reasonable interpretation where you know these interpretations conflict and then you can use that as an argument or something it like, that, like the, that
0: that you're willing to dismiss any any interpretation that if it seems obvious to you then any counter-interpretation you're just willing to dismiss. And if it's confusing to you, then you would say, yeah, so it's okay to be confused about this. But it seems like you're using you as the measuring stick for whether a thing is obvious or whether it's confusing.
1: Yeah, so I guess you would have to... Obviously, we all do that, but I mean... This is why you would have to be as objective as possible I mean whenever whenever we assess objective evidence there's obviously an element of subjectivity. You are assessing this or that evidence and making a conclusion and that sort of thing as to whether you think the scientific evidence supports old earth versus young earth but that doesn't deny that there is a you can look at objective evidences and see what others have said and look at these various interpretations and rule them out as. No, this, this is not what the text is saying. I, I don't care what, what you try to say. Uh, I just, this, I just don't think here.
0: you can. And I, and I think that the problem does begin when we start with our own subjective idea. This was part of my problem as a Christian. So not, never mind my uh, life after 40. Uh, when I was a Christian, I, especially when I was a younger Christian, there were things that seemed really obvious to me. And I was in a denomination that is not a major, large denomination. So, but these are things that seemed really obvious to me, and I was convinced that everyone who didn't see them the way I saw them were, were not seeing it intentionally. Either, either God had given them a strong delusion, or they're just lying about their understanding of the Bible, because it was, it was that black and white to me, uh, the issues that I cared about. And it was a long time before I could recognize that people coming from different perspectives, different places, who grew up differently, actually did see the Bible in obvious ways that, are, that were different from my obvious reading of it. And that, that was really hard for me to wrap my mind around. Uh, that my idea of what the Bible obviously said is not, in fact, the measuring stick for what the Bible obviously says.
1: Yeah. So, I, again, with this, I recognize what you're what you're saying to some extent, but it this it doesn't matter whether it's ancient, modern, or whatever. The ancient is just an added layer of complexity with what you're saying. I, I didn't expect you to go here because I don't know what to, how to advance the conversation. And if you're just going to say, "Well, there's always there's always an element of subjectivity," that's just out of necess- necessity, we we can't go outside of ourselves and that sort of thing. So when I read any book, this issue, uh, like should we just abandon books or, or what about interpreting scientific evidence? You're going to blame God for creating the the objective world, the general revelation type thing because oh people come to different conclusions. There's that element of subjectivity. So I I don't even see how to make progress if if you're just if this is just like a general objection.
0: Well, it, uh-huh. it is, it is mildly a general objection, but it's very specific toward the Bible. I would say the Bible is written in way, it's a type of literature that's written in such a way that, that requires you to run into that dead end. And so that dead end you're feeling in the conversation is in fact, uh, a, a big part of my case. You cannot go beyond that dead end. There's no way to interrogate the text further to get it to be more clear.
1: Okay. Okay. So he, so he, here's a one question then. Are, are, there, are there any examples of confusions um, where, you know, where people have differing interpretations um, of the Bible uh, that you think is not the fault of the Bible? Like, are there any examples of interpretations that you think
0: are unreasonable at all? Um, unreasonable. So when I was a Christian, I thought that all uh, attempts to show contradictions were unreasonable. Okay. I thought that all contradictions were harmonizable. There, there are sh- bookshelves full of books written by scholars who spend their time ironing out the contradictions of the Bible. And there are books on other shelves pointing out contradictions of the Bible. So... I bought a lot of those books. <laughs> so that was, that, was yeah. one of those, that was one of those subjects that was uh, very fascinating to me and very important. Because I come from a denomination that uh, said, even if, if there was even just one contradiction in the Bible, the Bible is not the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So I, I could not accept that there were any contradictions. And so anyone who even attempted to point out a contradiction, I thought that that was unreasonable.
1: Okay so just just one thing so it was unreasonable in light of your headcanon this this argument that the bible must be inerrant not so much from the bible itself They're reading like you're not saying yes, they in headcanon. that
0: argument that you're making about my headcanon exactly the argument that I'm going to make later on when you talk about undue confusion but uh That's go so I'm not going cool. to deny that it is my headcanon, but I would have denied it at the time. I would, have, In fact, I, I kind of deny it now. I, I believe that the Bible presents itself that way, as being without contradiction and error. Now, we've talked about this a little bit, and you, you think that I'm wrong about the interpretation of the Bible, but I, I don't. So what you call headcanon, I call biblical doctrine that you just don't agree with. Okay, fair,
1: fair enough. And here's my last intro question, and then I'll I'll get into your specific examples if you want before sure. doing the inspiration. So,
0: by the way, I so, before this was uh, started, I said forty minutes. We're shooting for forty minutes. <laughs> this thing's going to go for two hours. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh,
1: okay. Well, I can skip it then. If we're, no, no.
0: If we're... Look, I so I I normally wouldn't read email from another podcast, but. From the Steel Unbelievable, which went three hours with um, C.J. Morgan, I believe it was Darren who said, I like the Lone Form podcast. He does, yeah. (laughs) yeah, So this one's for you, Darren. (laughs) This one might go (laughs) for a while.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I I like them uh, a little bit longer as well, just because you get more context and that sort of thing. Like I, I didn't like I wish you didn't cut off the the interviews with Mike or, or Gary. I know we were trying to be respectful of their time and that sort of thing. But yeah, like I, I, something like that. Considering I, I,
0: all the trouble we got into uh, in the after shows uh, there, which which we are not talking about in detail, yeah. I, I would <laughs> say they may have gone a little long we should have cut him off sooner okay.
1: all right fair, fair enough That'd be, that's your uh interpretation now is it reasonable or not? um okay so so here's my last question sorry i won't waste time so is is a consensus of uh interpretation necessarily necessary for you to say something is clear in the Bible?
0: um so again that's a fair question i don't think that consensus equals clarity Okay, uh, but it is a sign, right? Okay. So let's say I disagree with consensus, which I can say I disagreed with consensus for most of my life as a Christian because I believed things that most Christians didn't believe. I was I was in a very conservative denomination, um, so uh, I I recognize consensus as a consideration. Mm-hmm. but yep. not the consideration. I would have said that the consensus, uh, uh, that, that most people who call themselves Christians, who weren't really, they weren't really Christians. And I would say that the consensus of scientists was because they were servants of the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would have cited passages that uh, talk about things like, you know, uh, the, the wisdom of God is the foolishness of men, uh, things like that. So if, if in fact... Men have a consensus. you should probably be going the other way. that's that's how I would have thought about it Today, I don't think about it that way, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but and so if if most Christians agree that the Bible says blank, I think that that is a fair thing to bring up if you're trying to determine what the Bible actually says. It's not the only thing, but I think it's I, I think it is a fair point. Fair enough. Okay, yeah, I can, I can respect that
1: that view then, um, as long as it's clear it's not the be-all and end-all type thing. So, okay, so let's, uh, I guess, address your three examples. So, in terms of hell, um, so I, I do think this is a significant uh, doctrine. Um, very, It's a very important theological doctrine. It has, you know, various implications that are... are in the, you know, I think it's a secondary doctrine, if, if you're talking about that, look, there's confusion between the nature of hell. See, CJ has uh, a slightly different view than me on hell in terms of whether the flames are literal versus metaphorical. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think the Bible is pretty clear. Hell is a place. It is not a, a state uh, of mind. Um, I think that part is clear it is also clear that it's a place you don't want to go it's it's a place that you know i, I know you kind of give me that characterization of it was oh it's it's just like living here on earth and that sort of thing that that's not exactly what i said you're you're just absent from the presence of god now first of all his absence is a bad thing you're going to feel it you're going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth not because you're being roasted alive on a on uh, a marshmallow stick or something like that but um yeah the, you're going to be in this is not a place you want to be it's, you're not, it's not exactly the same as what we're living here on earth despite all the sin and all the bad stuff that goes on, God is still relationally present and there's still the remnants of his perfect creation and that sort of thing so uh, so yeah the Bible is clear, hell is a place in my opinion and it's a bad place We don't, you don't want to go there it's not good for you uh, to go there Uh, And that sort of thing now Yeah, there can be some debates on those other secondary issues like well, are the flames literal or not Uh, Even if the flames are literal, does that mean they're going to be used? Are you going to be roasting in them? Or is it just flames are flying around in heaven as a reminder of God's judgment because flames are a metaphor for God's judgment just like darkness is Another metaphor used of hell, the outer dark, thrown into the outer darkness, and that sort of thing. Yeah, but I don't and see why.
0: But it can't be both in, uh, both hands. So it's a metaphor, and also it's real. I mean, you sure, you sometimes that's right now. You, you sometimes talk as if the idea of roasting in hell and being able to talk and have a conversation is isn't a ridiculous thing, but on the, on another point, you might talk about some miraculous thing as if God can do anything. So I take it from the perspective that uh, God can do anything if he's real. And uh, I also take it that people in hell will have new bodies just like people in heaven. And so their new bodies will be able to uh, withstand being roasted in flames. And you will be able to have conversations, but you'll also suffer uh, from it. But you just won't burn up like a burning bush. So I don't I don't see how that argument... Um, I don't. I don't see. I don't. I don't see your point when you when you say things like that. You can, in fact, be roasting in flames, and that can all be literal, no matter how uh, crazy it may sound. Because the whole Christian claim is that this God can do anything. In the afterlife, will be, you know, different physics and different bodies from from what we have right now.
1: Okay. Well, then, if if that's what you're going to suppose, then your objection, first of all, assuming that's right, and, and pretend. The supernatural aspect explains why f- fire can be there, which produces light, but yet you're in darkness and that sort of thing. It's a supernatural fire and we've got new physics and that sort of thing. Well then how can you, I'm sorry, you, you can't use that to be saying, uh, well Jesus, like being in a, in a house fire here on earth, you're going to be in sheer agony and all that. Like if we're positing different physics, Maybe if you are maybe if we are roasting in fire. Well, because the 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 example of the
0: person in hell that the Bible gives, the the rich man, Lazarus, as even if you say, Well that's that's just a uh, allegory, it's given to show what hell is like. No, it's not. Okay, well C J said it was
1: yeah, well, CJ's wrong.
0: I uh, can't okay, keep up with is, you no, guys. No, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
1: but it, look, it's, it's, it's an understanding. Okay, i tell you
0: what, you tell me who all is right, and I'll only pay attention to them.
1: <laughs> okay, no, no, but okay, David, am I right? Is, no. <laughs> is, is the parable talking about hell or the intermediate state in the first place?
0: I think Is it's talking parable? about hell because, uh, yeah, there's there's no sense in that par- parable that he's actually in just a waiting room and he's going somewhere else. I mean, what? It what say that, I, I, mean, don't I don't understand. I don't understand an intermediate space. If it's an intermediate space, he wouldn't be in torment. He'd just be in an intermediate space. he would be in a neutral space. Well,
1: I mean, the intermediate state you can be under substance dualism. You can experience the sensation of pain, or.
0: But, it, you know, emotional. what I'm saying is if it's a agony. waiting room for eternity to, to before you go to your final destination, mm-hmm. i'm I'm suggesting it would be neutral, kind of like a purgatory. You wouldn't be on fire. That's you, you know, I know I don't So if you're no, already no, on no, fire, no, it, then no, that's not true
1: biblically. I'm surprised you say Not That was the case in Sheol before. But after Jesus.
0: Okay, but Sheol the wasn't, Sheol wasn't, the, the, the worldview of hell that we have today is different from the worldview of hell they had when they were using terms like, uh, Sheol. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, Sheol. Yeah.
1: Yes, correct. There was an ontological
0: change.
1: This is what I'm saying. There, we are, Paul talks about he's up in heaven now after he's dead he wouldn't have been in the Old Testament. He would have went down to Sheol, even though he's good, Abraham's bosom. Um, so there is there is a change now between what happens to good versus bad people. So, you know, non-saved people are in a different intermediate state than saved Christians. We're, they're up there with Jesus right now in heaven. That wasn't the case in the Old Testament.
0: Yeah, so there's a change in doctrine. I don't—I'm not— <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, because well, it's, it's, a it's a very complicated, right? It's a very, it's a very complicated doctrine that has morphed over time in in regions. It's not like there was some systematic, uh, programmatic change. You know, this is this is what hell is like now. But after this point in history, hell is going to change to be like, you know, this. It, it's a piece of fantasy that has changed with different people over time.
1: Um, well, no, I, I think this is this is in the New Testament, it's hinted at, and, and certainly there are very early traditions, like the descent of Jesus into hell, that there is this notion that Jesus has defeated Hades, which you know, is, is the Greek, it stands for shale and that sort of thing. There's been a fundamental change now that Jesus has accomplished his victory on the cross, and that sort of thing. That, this is my, yeah, that this is it seems this is what the Bible is saying that there is this change in the intermediate state. So there is an intermediate state. Paul's soul right now is up in heaven, it's not embodied. Uh, there are likewise unsaved souls somewhere, and they're segregated from, they're not in heaven, uh, with
0: Paul. So, yeah, like, I, yeah, so you, you point, do, you do recognize that, that that is not, um, Settled doctrine among Christians. Um, there, there are many different views about what happens to a person af- immediately after they die. So, one of the uh, very popular views would be something called soul sleep.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So
0: what what you're what you're saying with the great deal of confidence you're saying, I would argue that you don't have the right to be that confident. You're you are. And it is fair to inform the reader that you are just presenting one of many doctrines.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say many. It, like you, there's it's not like there's hundreds out there, but there are there are about four or five major views. Like there's a a book Counterpoint, and it gives about the five different views. Like Justin Briley would dis would disagree with me, for example. Um, but I I, I don't think that this is I think that the Bible is clear enough this isn't something I'm not going to be arrogant it's not and say clear it's like, enough not, you just not like you the just acknowledge that
0: there are about five different views it's clearly right. not clear that enough
1: but pointing pointing out that there's not a consensus doesn't mean it's not nece- doesn't necessarily mean it's not clear now I would agree with you that the nature of the intermediate state is not as clear as the fact that the Bible teaches God Period. I don't care what Spung says. I, I, his arguments do not...
0: Uh, Fine. I, I,
1: I could agree with that. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I do think it's pretty darn clear, uh, very, very probable, um, that hell's a real place. There is an intermediate state. Hell is a bad place, whatever that might entail. Now, I can give a an argument... I think it's more probable than not for the people that study what the Bible says as as a full context. Study what scholars on both sides say as to the nature of hell. Are you going to be tortured? Are you uh, is is universalism true? Is Rob Bell correct? Everyone's going to be saved, and that sort of thing. Um, We can debate that secondary issue, um, and it's I think it's really important. But I think that the Bible provides enough clarity to support my view is being more probable so then that takes away that issue of confusion
0: um okay no. so I, do, I would disagree that your view is more probable i would say that it's not a crazy idea i can talk i can talk about the idea that i had which is different than yours so i i would argue that my idea of hell is more probable if we're just talking about what the literature says i don't think you're reading the literature right um, okay, now, so now
1: let's see, I have an answer. let's Let's pretend you're right for a second. Let's pretend we're at a deadlock, and oh, both interpretate. we can't figure out what the correct doctrine is. are Are you tortured in flames or are or is my notion uh, of you know going through going through emotional agony and weeping and gnashing of teeth and that sort of thing correct? I have a way, um, like a hermeneutic a basic hermeneutical principle. In that event, for Christians, but that's part of my inspiration case. So, okay, should so I, I say what?
0: There? Why don't you go ahead? Why don't you go ahead and work into your inspiration case right now, and we can look at maybe some of the other issues as we go. But um, yeah, this seems like a good segue to go into inspiration because that's that's the next part of the argument that I take uh, on the blog anyway.
1: Okay, cool. So, so I'll be I'll be quick here. So, because I know David doesn't want to focus too much on this, but one of the issues David does bring up in his blog is inspiration of, of the Word of God. What what the heck does that mean? This just is one of these Christian terms that you throw up and you think it has substance, but... It, it certainly
0: makes mean. me throw up. It makes you throw up? Why, yeah, why would it's, you say that? It's that's a play, it's so a play on words there. You, you just sit. Oh, you know, <laughs> okay.
1: Extract <it's>, my... <laughs> you're a
0: little slow this morning. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this um, is not going to go well for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fine. Okay, so, so what might it mean? So to, for Scripture to be inspired, obviously you know God. It means it's God breathed. First um, Timothy, I believe it is, says it all. Scripture is God breathed and given for God and profitable for correction and rebuking and, and that sort of thing. Um, now be be aware, there's a difference between the text being inspired and it being infallible and it being inerrant. The tech the bible could have errors in it i i think it does have some um the bible uh could not might not be infallible and yet it could still be inspired now i i do think my personal position i think the bible's inspired and i believe um i'm not 100 percent, but i believe the bible is infallible but i do i think the bible's errant um so that's my personal position now in terms of inspiration, what is what does that mean? So there are three basic aspects to what we're saying when the script when we say scripture is inspired. So the first one is that it is plenary. So this speaks to the breadth of the inspiration. All of Scripture, everything in the canon that we have today, is inspired. Second, it's verbal. So inspired. This is the depth. It goes down to the very words the words themselves are inspired by god um so you know obviously that's can become problematic when we're talking about certain uh contradictions or or um preservation problems and that sort of thing but finally three the scripture is also confluent so this means that there it involves it is a product the end product is a a a result of divine and human efforts Uh, So, you know, this speaks against, it's it's not a dictation model like the Quran. it's not God says, write, thus saith the Lord, do this. Uh, And then they write, okay, thus saith the Lord, do this. On the whole, there are some thus saith the Lord's uh, prophetic utterances that are dictations, but on the whole, scripture is not a dictation model. Um, So these are the three aspects that one has to incorporate into their doctrine of inspiration how it makes sense and um so the bible makes it clear that these sentences and words themselves these sentential content is what's important and my way of making sense uh, no surprise here is molinism Uh, this is another application for where molinism can make sense of how very words themselves could be inspired by God in some way because God providentially knew in advance, he foreknew what each of the human authors would freely write of their own accord and then created that logical possible world in which we end up with the end product of the Bible that we want. So inspiration, and this is a confusion too, is a a property of the text. It's not necessarily a property of the authors of the text. It's a misnomer to say, oh, well, Paul was inspired when he wrote that. Um, And and again, they're not mutually exclusive. Obviously, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit in his oral teachings or inspired to go here and there. But when we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture, this is primarily a property of the text, not necessarily of the authors of the text. So this is how I wanted to clarify how inspiration works. So this is why Christians will say, you know, inspiration applies to the original autographs, but then what do you do later on when we have translations, they have different words, they have different, you know, they're not, it's not, the inspired text is not being preserved perfectly. And this is where James White comes in and says, well, look, we have the textual tenacity of the text. So it is preserved in all the Greek manuscripts that we can that scholars can reconstruct and it's been preserved that way. Um, so this is the way most scholars will answer any preservation problems. Now, I'm sort of unique in, I, in that I don't think that's good enough. Um, I, I don't think all Christians should be dependent on scholars to know what the inspired text texts are. And it's problematic for me in the 1700s, all they had was the King James Version back then, from my understanding. So there are problems in the King James Version, but I have to say, well, this is God, uh, to whatever measure, preserving his inspired text in some way. So on the issue of uh, preservation, this is where I more go for the, the philosophical, informational content is preserved um, in such a way as to not cause undue confusion. Um, so that's sort of my unique take I, I'm against what you know most scholars like Gary and Mike and William mm-hmm. and Craig would say on that but yeah I, I don't think the King James Version can get off the hook and just say oh but that's not that doesn't represent the original so this is my, my view of how inspiration works what it is uh, how it relates to the preservation of that inspired text um, yeah I hope that that helps out so yeah certain areas of confusion can crop up uh in that regard especially through preservation we can get certain contradictions and that sort of thing Um, but here here's what i wanted to to get to so with my notion of undue confusion um i'm saying i i defined it earlier as it's it's no area of confusion god can't allow any area of confusion through a contradiction or or something like that um, on any uh, for um, where a reasonable person would be confused in such a way that it would unjustifiably hinder their achieving salvation. So if you if you can prove some specific issue fits that bill, then that would count against Christianity in my opinion. Um, so. Obviously, when we're interpreting, obviously there are areas of confusion. I, I don't agree with David's specific examples, but I can easily point out to my own example where I'm sort of confused on what, what, what is the Bible saying here, and that sort of thing. So, couple, two major uh, hermeneutical principles. So, in the first place, I think that we today, um, and yeah, Christians are in order to understand the Bible. There are various hermeneutical principles that they can use you know letting scripture interpret scripture reading the whole context and this sort of thing we we are responsible to use every available avenue of knowledge to help us resolve any alleged areas of confusion um and that i think that the vast majority of areas of simple confusion will be revealed not to be areas of undue confusion But now let's say as i was telling david before let's say there is a situation where look i've I've done all the research i've looked at all the scholarship and uh you know what i i don't know how to break the tie i I don't know if spung is right i don't know if william craig is right Uh, i i honestly don't know and and in all all honesty there there are actually a couple areas like that for me that i'm current and i haven't done all the research yet but um, I have done some research and I, I haven't totally resolved what the answer is yet. Um, but what do we have a hermeneutical principle on this front? And I think that we do. Um, for example, I think that if an alleged contradiction comes up and we can't find that, an- that answer to resolve it, well, guess what? You just you go, okay, first of all, you assess the significance of it. Is it an essential belief or not? if it's a secondary thing, then you're able to go, okay, well, you know what, I don't have to have an answer. I don't have to immediately know what is the truth on this issue. Um, If it was truly important, then God would have, for our salvation or achieving salvation, then God would have made it clear. So the very fact that it's not clear means that I'm allowed to be agnostic. I don't have to be dogmatic and know the answer for that particular issue. It's not important. It's it's you know I'll, I'll wait and see for further information that may clarify this sort of thing so I, I think a lot of Christians get into trouble this will be my last last thing before I turn it to David because I'm talking a lot um but yeah a lot of Christians become get into trouble when they're when there's the unresolvable issue and it's like well we got to take a stance we, we got to know okay boom we, we unjustifiably take this position and we're dogmatic about it if you don't believe this you're a heretic and all, and all this stuff no God doesn't want that just Admit, look, I don't know what the answer is, so I'll remain open to learning. If new information comes in or I read something in another verse in the Bible that sheds more light on it, okay, uh, great, that that resolves it. Now I can be dogmatic, but until then, you know, you don't have to know every single thing in the Bible. What's important is how you achieve salvation, and on that front, I think God is pretty clear. So, yeah, I'll turn it to you, David. Oh, okay. Was that too much? Or?
0: Well, okay. I, so I think there are two issues and I have to take two bites out of the elephant instead of just one. So addressing inspiration first. Okay. Um, I still think that you have said nothing that clears up what inspiration is. Uh, so we just, I, I, that's still a meaningless Christian term, a little bit like Imago Dei. What, what, what is the image of God? Nobody knows what that means. Um, it's it's a it's a bit of Christianese that makes Christians feel good and special, but when you break it down to its to its mechanism, it, it doesn't actually mean anything. There's no mechanism there, uh, and inspiration is the same thing. And I I would argue that it does require a mechanism. And what you want to do is talk about it as if it doesn't need a mechanism. So by mechanism, here's what I mean. Uh, we can say well. Scripture is inspired by God, but it wasn't written by God. That is, to me, um, uh, incoherent. Right. At, at some point, somewhere along the line, God's got to be a part of it. Right. Uh, he's he's, he's right. simply got to, and I mean, a direct part of it. So, for instance, when, um, when you read the Pentateuch, Just as an example, this is, and and let's just buy into the fiction that it was written by Moses Um, for the sake of convenience. Well, Moses uh, lived somewhere between uh, 1100 BCE and 1400 BCE. I'm I'm not going to try to pinpoint it more than that, but that's, uh, by the way, I'm a Moses myth, so I don't think there was a Moses. But to the extent that there may have been, those are the dates that Christian scholars give. Yeah. Uh, for Moses. So I'd be surprised I'm
1: surprised if he weren't. So. Right. So
0: I'm I'm not I'm not looking to argue that right now. So I'm I'm saying that um, Moses was around uh, somewhere between eleven uh, 1100 and 1400 thereabouts. So first of all, do you agree with that bit of scholarship uh, so that we could stipulate that and move on? Uh
1: no, I wouldn't. Um, I do think that there is some some evidence for placing the Exodus in According to the biblical chronology, in the four, in the fourteenth or, or sorry, fifteenth, uh, fourteen hundreds BC. Put it put it that way.
0: Okay, so that's that's what I said somewhere somewhere in between oh, 1100 and
1: 1400. Okay, so so, so I'm, then, yes. I'm,
0: there's a range, right? So I'm not saying he lived. You know all of that, that time yeah. bad, so bad somewhere yes. somewhere in that time, if Moses lived, it would have been around that time. So go back to the beginning of the universe. And what do you think the universe began um, thirty five, thirty six years uh, uh, or or um, yeah about the thirty six years before Moses or billions of years before Moses? It, it doesn't actually matter at that point. Uh, what matters is Moses wasn't there. <laughs> he wasn't a contemporary with Abraham. He wasn't a contemporary with most of the people he writes about. He, he simply wasn't a part of the prehistory. So for Moses to get the information that he got, he had to get it from God. There's, there's no library he could have gone to to get that information either the, the things he writes about the narratives that he, that he narrates that can only come from one source so those those conversations that he has with god in the tent you know we can we can use some head canon and say well you know god gave him some stuff there but this is my point at somewhere in the process god had to tell him about stuff yeah to to write down this right. this this does not come from Moses just doing research. This right. comes from Moses taking notes from God. I would say a lot of the Bible falls into that category. In fact, one of the things that I plan to bring up a little bit later, since we're not looking at the clock, I see no reason why we shouldn't be able to get to it. Uh, but I'll just preview it now. In Matthew 27, there there are five events that happen. one of those events the last one would be the soldiers saying surely this was the son of god this this is not an event that anyone any historian could have written about why because none of the disciples were around even the women weren't close enough to hear it they were watching from a distance uh according to matthew no one was there jesus was dead So he he couldn't have told them about it. Um, So this is this is something that looks like a a narrator's a a writer's device uh, to to move along narration and to make a point. But taking it literally, as many Christians do, one would have to say that the only the only way Matthew could get that information would be to get it directly from God. This is not a thing that Matthew had access to, to research and then write down. The Bible is full of things like that. So I I would say that the argument that you make about inspiration has to meet up with some kind of mechanism where God is giving people information to write down. Otherwise, it's not coherent.
1: Right. So that's why I, I clarified there are certain certain portions. I would not agree that the majority of scripture is that, but there are, God did meet Moses face to face and revealed the 10 commandments are, are a dictation model. Um, and same with all the commandments uh, and that sort of thing in the Old Testament. There are cases where Paul is being directly inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit as a person, but it's not the model whereby you're saying, Moses sits down at his desk, and then God says, all right, write this, or blah, 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 blah. And then Paul writes out, that didn't happen. That's not what the Bible is. It's a supervisory. It's, it's funny, because you
0: say that didn't happen, yet you just admit that that had to happen in some of the, some of the instances.
1: Right, in some of the instances. Right, so... so that's, you, that's not what happened it, when Paul was writing his
0: letters. It's, 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 I don't see how you could dogmatically say that
1: because it's proven that there you would point out these areas confluency is a proven fact of the bible right you can we there can is no proven fact authors.
0: about the bible so i'm going i'm going i'm going to have to give yeah. a hard no on that <laughs> so
1: you don't you don't detect any human elements in the bible
0: it's, i it's detect all? only human elements in the bible so then confluence these, oh. confluence assumes that there is a joint effort so, no, right. I don't agree with your idea of confluence.
1: Right. So th- this is what skeptics do, right? That's the skeptical claim. It's not a pro- Proving the human involvement in the text is not the problem. That's obvious. That's clear. No one, I'm surprised. If you want to take issue with that, I'll be like, great, thank you. But um, the point is, the confluency is, well, how do we get God in there? If It's, it's clearly not a dictation model that... Or something, or something like that. Or you know, there's silly, there's things like where Paul's greeting or making little personal notes. That doesn't sound like God in a booming voice saying, "And tell, tell Timothy, I I love him," or something like that, uh, or he forgot his coat or something I like that. I don't see why not. Well, it's 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 more probable. To if say if that God wanted
0: us to know that, if God wanted us to read that, then yeah, I would I would think that that's exactly what uh, God would have done. Maybe maybe Paul would have said, yeah, you know what, this bit about my coat isn't important, and God says, no, yes, it is.
1: Okay, so great then. If that's what you want to say, then it, then it's all God. Then there, you have no proof that that it's not uh well, when monistic. i was a
0: christian i thought it was all god and i i think that inspiration of god once again it requires a mechanism
1: it, i gave one you just don't want to admit it i gave the molinistic yeah. mechanism the Okay, but i don't i don't understand
0: I don't it sorry. i don't understand your mechanism you're saying these are things that these people would have said anyway and i've pointed out several examples where no these people wouldn't have said that anyway they didn't have the information they couldn't say it they, it had to be dictation or nothing
1: can't can't it be both? It's both and,
0: right? No, they're, not in stuff, not in situations where they're talking about things they couldn't know about.
1: It's not both there, and. You're wrong to say they couldn't know about certain things necessarily. No, now,
0: I, I don't. <laughs> not it. Not, be right? <laughs> not if the stories to be believed. Say. Not if the story's to be believed. That I'm not wrong. Uh, I'm just read the story, and it's you know if I'm reading say, fiction, say again, this what? is not. What's the
1: example that stuff happened in the temple and Matthew couldn't have known about it? Is that what you said?
0: Well, in the uh, in Matthew thirty-seven, where after these other supernatural events happened, the soldier said, "Surely this was the Son of God." What I'm saying is, there's nobody there who could have heard that. How it's it's either made up or um, how do you know there is nobody there? All the right disciples right? had fled.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't have to be disciples. People convert didn't. Scribes and uh, scribes convert very early in the church. People that would have had inside information as to goings on in there.
0: Well, I think the only people who would have had inside information would be the soldiers, because they were the only ones there. the The other two um, people on the cross were dead. Jesus was dead. The women were the closest, and they were far away. In fact, all of this stuff about the the last sayings of Jesus—I uh, mean, no one would have been there. Now you can argue, well, Jesus told them about it, but at at some point Jesus died, and the narration continues as if there's an invisible narrator still standing there.
1: Okay, and okay, here's a here's a good uh, thing then to prove that it is both. And uh, the Gospel of Luke does he not mention that he consults various sources? I don't. If it's a dictation, why does he need sources? He's just. God, you tell me what to
0: write, and I'll write it. Sure. Um, so, I, I would concur that Luke admits that this was a human effort on his part and not a God effort. Um, now, I know you wouldn't agree with that, but yeah. that's, that's how I read the in, uh, introduction of Luke. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, Luke still writes things, there's still little things in Luke's gospel that are narrative devices that talk about what people were thinking, for instance. He couldn't know what people were thinking. Um, you know, it's it reads like a work of fiction. I can write a work of fiction and I can give you all kinds of details. You know why? Because I'm making them up. But I couldn't give those kinds of details if I were writing history, because they're not available to me. They weren't available to anybody.
1: I think you'll be surprised. Like, Craig Keener has done a lot of scholarship. He's a world's expert on Acts, so like, some of the things that you're addressing, there are ways that he could have found out through not being inspired. But I want you to understand, I'm not denying that the that God did directly reveal things and or take part in certain dictations uh, for people to write in the Bible. It's, it's both and. There are something. The Ten Commandments, 100 percent, are a dictation model. Um but overall, with Scripture, in terms of its end product of the, the text that we have as the Bible today, that is a supervisory model where God in his Molinism, he knew what Luke, you admit Luke wrote as a human being. That's The confluency there is obvious, although you would just deny the, the God part. So I'm saying, well, here's how God would be involved. The mechanism he used was Molinism. He knew and set up in advance the circumstances whereby he knew that Luke would do the research. He would cite those sources. He would write what he wrote and give us the Gospel of Luke and as well the historical monograph of Acts.
0: Okay. So I, I wanted to give this. Um, and that's. I wanted to give this topic fair uh, fair hearing because I know that you had worked on it a little bit. But honestly here's you mentioned earlier that i didn't want to spend much time with it here's why i didn't want to spend much time with it and why i'm pretty much done with the topic now uh because your objection doesn't actually change the the central facts of of my point so here's yeah so here's the problem let's say um let's start with the molinistic uh response so this is the response I give to people when uh, I'm discussing something with them on a discussion board or commenting on a blog. If, if you make a quote in your blog and you quote someone that, that makes, a, makes a point that you're trying to make, I'm going to treat it as if this is something you said, not as if it's something that someone else said. Because so I'm not talking to someone else, I'm talking to you. You okay. chose that quote because you thought that it represented what your idea was better than you could have represented it yourself. That's why you chose it. So I am going to treat it as if it was your idea, a thing that you are saying. Uh, so we've we've had a, some classes like this in the past where, you know, someone on the board will quote. It, this may have happened with you or not, but it certainly happens on, on the discussion boards every now and then. Someone will make a quote. And um, you know they'll they'll cite an article. You know, read this article. This this expresses my ideas exactly. And I'll read the article and I'll bring up three or four points. And they'll say, "Well, okay, I don't agree with those ideas." Well, then yeah, then you should have the- you should have expressed your ideas. That, then you shouldn't have said, "Read this article. This is my idea." Um, um, I,
1: th- I think it's good to yeah. Well, we cl- we we disagree with that. So okay, fair enough. But so I, but yeah. but
0: this is but this goes to your Molinistic. Uh, excuse which is not an excuse so it does not at the end of the day matter to me if you say god dictated it directly or he simply knew what they wrote he mm-hmm. chose them for what they would write yes. so these are still god's words whether you yes. say he directly said them, or he just chose them because he knew they would say him doesn't Correct. matter yeah so so god doesn't get off the hook for instance, Correct. if someone writes something incorrectly, God chose those incorrect things that they would write. So we're still talking about God. So yep. if there's an error, yep. it's a God error, it's not a human error. So Correct. that's it's not about
1: that error, yeah.
0: Right. So that's that's my that's my first point there. And the second point is it doesn't matter if even if you say God dictated everything, that doesn't change the idea that things might be confusing. God might be a bad writer. In fact, I would say that to the extent that God wrote anything at all, he's he's a multi-dimensional creature who does not experience the time uh, time in the same way that we do. He is by necessity a bad writer. We can, we don't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> so, um, well, just because yeah. God wrote it doesn't mean it's not confusing. So once again even Correct. even if you even if we could agree on the authorship we still have not escaped my uh my Correct. ultimate theme.
1: Yeah, I I agree 100% with what you said and I wasn't trying to it was just one of the things that you uh, mentioned in the text. Um, what does inspiration mean and I was sort of anticipating because if, if there's this notion Norm Geisler and that sort of thing if it's inspired it's got to be inerrant and I was saying well no, there is a way that errors could be in the Bible. Um, if we assume a worst-case scenario, and let's say there are actually errors or that sort of thing, um, and or areas of confusion through a whatever, contradiction or contradictory interpretations or, or whatever. Um, and it's not God's fault. There could be a reason why God is allowing those errors those errors. And
0: this is just the uh, point so long, that I was just making. It is God's fault because he chose it. So he He chose those errors. He didn't have to choose right. those errors. No, he did have to choose those errors.
1: That's my point. A Bible. If God created a, a world where there was an in, a inerrant Bible, it could have been... Now, again, it, it could be the case that the Bible is in fact inerrant. Maybe I'm wrong in my judgment or something like that, and that would have resulted in the most souls being saved, See, and that's I, don't, I don't actually
0: like, care whether you say it's errant or errant. All I'm saying is you can't get God off the hook by saying He didn't write it.
1: I, and I don't. This is why I I come. I, God is on the hook for allowing these errors. Now, my question is: He's only blameworthy if He's allowed uh, through the through the uh, these errors, human made errors. If he's allowed undue confusion, then you, as a skeptic, get to go. God, that was bad. You're okay. you're hindering. You're unfairly hindering me from achieving salvation because of the because of this contradiction in the numbers of the age of the king. or right.
0: So that tra- that transitions us into the second bite of the elephant. Uh, remember, okay. I said that we got to take this in two bites. So um, that's the inspiration part. The other part of your argument, which I think you mean to be more substantive, but I, I actually think is less substantive, okay. um, is the idea that God would only allow inconsequential errors and, and, uh, by extension only allow inconsequential confusion. Mm-hmm. So if you are suffering confusion, you, you kind of take out the magic wand here, um, and, and wave this away in, in two ways. So if you're suffering confusion, the first way you wave this away is, it's your fault. You're, you're sure. not reading it right. Uh, so the, the first thing you should consider if, if you're confused about a Bible passage is that your heart is hard. You're stubborn. You're stupid. You're uh, uneducated. One, one of these things that comes back to you you are the problem because you are confused. And then you you wave the wand harder with your second uh, attempt. If you're confused, don't worry about it. God's going to fix it for you. So if this is important, then you're going to be unconfused before you die, so you don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about the mechanism. God is just going to fix it so that you are not confused. There's your There's your magic wand going off. The other sure. thing is if you die... And you are still confused. Hey, good news! It wasn't important.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you're going to you're going to figure. We're going to have all the answers, and and once we're saved, anyways, like a, we're not going to be seeing through a glass darkly anymore. Right. But
0: but you're, you're, what you're trying to do is just move the goalpost down the road. Or this may be less a goalpost moving thing. You're just kicking the can down the road a, a little way, so you don't have to deal with it. Um, And so, but but that is kind of what you're doing you're saying don't worry about that confusion I've got some ways so that you can think of it so you don't have to think of it as a problem A, either it's just your own stupid fault and you need to study harder or B, it's not really important or C, God's going to fix it uh, if it is important so that you understand it in your mind so either way if you're confused about scripture it's okay, don't lose any sleep over it that's what your argument is trying to to do, it's trying, trying to dismiss yeah, it's, the it's, the problem rather than to solve it.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's saying, uh, yeah, it's it's just saying like God is not because you're every time with you guys. It's always God. It's never you guys. So that's this is why I was trying to get you to admit that there could be some confusions where it's your fault with this with my first avenue, and I mean, it's the flat earthers' fault for believing the Earth is flat, given the evidence. It's not the scientist's know.
0: fault for and not being... Okay, but I don't... I, <laughs> I, I push back on that first statement. Uh, okay. The flat earther is most certainly wrong. I do not jump to the conclusion that it is the flat earther's fault. A, a, a flat earther who was raised by a flat earther and sheltered from... Uh, scientific thinking and discouraged to read books and so forth. And it grew up in a certain way in a compound. It is not their fault. They're a flat earther.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. I acknowledge that, but it's not the fault of the scientists or whatever, or, or the scientific data,
0: well, but I'm, I'm not, but, yeah. I'm not blaming the scientific data. If If God wants you to know things, it's, it's, I don't. I'm not sure that scientists care if you know things. <laughs> you know, they want enough know, people know. to buy it, their but books. But get the analogy. The scientists are in God's place. I understand. But... It's it's not an analogy that I can work with though. God actually wants you to know things. In fact, if you don't know the things that God wants you to know, you are going to either burn in hell, a la C.J. Uh, Morgan, or you're just going to suffer in hell in some other way, a la um, Dale. Uh, so God,
1: so God wants you to know things for what purpose—to be
0: saved. Well, that's but, strict, okay, strict but that's part of your head canon, and I, but that's fine. I'm not even challenging that right now. Okay. What I am suggesting is that God requires you to know things, and so it's not okay for Him to allow you to be confused, and it is not okay to just accuse the confused person that it, that it's their fault somehow.
1: Okay, but that's why I have different. Uh, okay, so I I acknowledge you're right but there are instances where it is okay to blame the confused person maybe not maybe not in the case where someone's been sheltered in that case i have my second answer that god will reveal the truth to them one way or another before it un, before it hinder their confusion hinders them um from achieving their salvation and boom that's that's good that's that's the point of having scripture that's what it's therefore uh, it's not there to teach me a science lesson it's not there to teach me how many horses or you know we're in a stable versus in another text it says a different number or something like that um, the primary the reason God revealed anything at all was to get us to be saved so this is why I I explain it in terms of undue confusion and to the degree that and I I, na- I analyze these various, confusions or errors or stuff like that in the context of what degree would this hinder unjustifiably hinder a reasonable person uh from achieving their salvation? And I'm I'm sorry, I don't think you're being reasonable if oh shoot, this contradicts contradict because the the manuscript there's a manuscript error and that guy preserved into a king james version and i was just reading about one the other day um you're, you're being unreasonable and placing such a significance on such a minor trivial error it this shouldn't hinder you from seeing the truth based on all the other evidence and that stuff that Christianity's true yeah you
0: know, i'm sorry that you don't think that it should hinder me but y- your opinion on what should or shouldn't hinder me um, is meaningless to me so that's you, that's your head canon as to what should or shouldn't hinder me, uh, let me let me give you a bit of my head canon based on what I think Scripture says. And we've, we've talked about this a little bit before, so I won't uh, mm-hmm. belabor the issue over much. Not everyone has uh, heard every uh, conversation that we've had. So um, I'll recapitulate a little bit of it. Uh, for me, if there are minor errors in the text, it tells me that God didn't have anything to do with it because if god has something to do with it there wouldn't be those errors if if i'm given a book uh, uh, on on mathematics and it is supposed to be co-authored by the greatest mathematician in the world and there are basic math errors in it i'm not interested in that book it's it's a flawed book it's it's a stupid book and it could be that there's some great mathematical uh, theory in there uh, that would be useful to know, but I'm sorry, that theory isn't a bad conveyance. If you're trying to tell me that this is the greatest mathematician that ever lived and he gets one plus one wrong,
1: I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's unreasonable. I mean, uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. Is a typo? Uh,
0: like well, let's well, say how do I know it's a typo? It's See, that's the thing. You're, you're asking me now to make judgments on what kind of mistake it is. What I'm saying is, there's a bunch of mistakes in this book. In a, it, that shouldn't have mistakes. So, yeah, that's not a good math book. And in the same sense, uh, you're telling me that this is a book uh, with the words of life that come from God. And he can, in, in, in one place, he tells me that David, one of the most important people that figures in this book, had uh, six brothers. In another place, he has seven brothers. In another place, I can glean that he had eight brothers. Oh, my God. Um, this is not, that didn't come from God. Um, so maybe, maybe God was taking a break there and these were the humans that took over. Some idiot humans wrote this. This is wrong. Let's just throw that aside because it's not important. Uh, and we look at other problems, uh, that are riddled throughout the book and you could say, but none of those are salvation issues. Yes, but all of them speak to the credibility of the book.
1: Yeah, I I disagree. I I think there's a degree of – But I don't don't
0: actually care that you disagree. For me, they harm the credibility of the book.
1: Right. So so let me – okay, so let me say this. One thing that you did say – so first of all, you're assuming again a dictation-type model – and and something similar, even with preservation, like you, you seem to God's taking a little break. No, that that's not the case because it's all in the human's effort, but God is supervising, in the sense that's fine. It, how, God chose yeah. it,
0: it, so it's still of God. We're not we're not getting God off the hook there. I don't I don't care. But you know, you could say, well, God, His hand wasn't as directly involved in this passage as that passage. That doesn't get him off the hook. He still used it. So if I can't trust. In the areas where there are clear contradictions and mistakes. I'm not entirely sure why I should trust in areas that I can't verify.
1: Because you know that God God's what God's main goal is.
0: Wait a minute. Now Let's there's there's where you're see. using headcanon. There's where you're using your preconceived notion that the Bible is ultimately a good book. And what you're really what you're really trying to sell is the alt. the Bible is ultimately a good and reliable book, no matter how many holes are in it no matter how many mistakes are in it. You know, it's it's like telling me, yeah, right, here's the lifeboat. It's okay. Yeah, I know there's a big hole in the bottom. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there are three holes on the side. Don't look at those. It's a good lifeboat. Just just get in it because we know that this lifeboat saves people. Lifeboats save people. Here's a lifeboat. Don't don't worry about the details. This is kind of what you're trying to tell me about the Bible. It's It's a good book. It's God's book. He's got a goal for it. And ignore all of the problems that you see in it.
1: Okay, so so wait, so we might be doing what, what happened between you and Gary here. So I, when I'm answering with my second way, when I'm saying just just remain agnostic and uh, God will reveal the truth, even on these minor issues, you'll find out. And, you know, if it's not important, then you'll find out, you can ask him in the afterlife. And you'll be like, oh, okay, cool, That that's the answer. I, I got it. Uh, that's my advice to, like, in the context of you're a Christian and you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, the truth of these matters or, or figure out the truth on this doctrine so you know how to live a Christian life or that sort of thing. Um, and obviously, again, for the Christian, you got to assign those significances. But for a skeptic, a- addressing you as a skeptic in the context of asking, is Christianity true? Why, why would God allow uh, these confusions or something like that? Then yeah, you can present these as negative evidences. So I did. I I did for an air. You know, I I don't like giving examples, but an example that I've given on the boards that I'm, I have a legitimate confusion on, and I've I've done some research, and you know, I I don't think I've done totally my due diligence yet, but I've done I've done a fair bit, and I, I still have a level of confusion is on the issue of complementarianism versus. Egalitarianism. What this is does, talking
0: about what, women's roles.
1: Correct. Yeah. What what does the the Bible? What is the Bible teaching? And you know there there are various explanations as to the circumstances. Oh well, you know what does this sound like? But I, I can understand why someone in the sixteen hundreds uh, would have read some of these texts and that and that sort of thing and said, "Oh, well, women can't talk. They they don't know the scholarship that I'm privy to because I can." use the internet and see, oh, they're talking about, oh, they used to worship Diana and that sort of thing. And there is there is a warped teaching about Eve was created first or something like that. So Paul's addressing that. They wouldn't know that. And that could be an area that might be said to be undue confusion on a balance of probabilities. Uh, if complementarianism is false, if, if egalitarianism is true, then you'll read some of these things and you might be confused. I can understand that. Um, So yeah, just, just, just for the sake
0: of subtitles, I I hate it when we use these terms, assuming that everybody has read uh, three scholarly books for breakfast. Um, Complementarianism is the idea that men are um, equal, but separate in responsibilities. And so it allows for the notion that men can be in charge while women make the casseroles in the kitchen. Um, I know Dale wouldn't put it that way, but that's complementarianism. Egalitarianism is, is the idea that uh, men and women have uh, exactly the same uh, rights and roles in all ways, and so women can be elders.
1: Yeah, think think of it they're they're equal, but the complementarianism they're equal, but they have different roles. So think yeah, of it men in- preach, women make casseroles. Right, uh, there, like it's not <laughs> at the end the of the day. The
0: that's church, how it's can't. practiced in a lot of churches. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: you've got to submit to your husband. You you can't preach and that sort of thing. That that would be the kind of things that they're saying. Um, right. So, I can understand. Let's pretend I was in the 1600s. I don't have access to the scholarship that's convincing me to understand. But here's a here's an alleged contradiction as a Christian there is junia was an apostle she taught men um right away you go what i thought women can't teach but right here women are teaching on the highest level of authority as an apostle um so that alleged contradiction someone in the 1600s wouldn't have the research to resolve that issue like i do and say oh but okay so this verse isn't really doesn't mean what people think it means on a superficial reading. The guy in the 1600s might not. So in his case, in the 1600s, this is where you go to the default of, okay, well, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm going to just, whatever. I, I'm not going to adjudicate until I have the resources to figure out what this what the answer is in this. Overall, I know Christianity is true. You, you
0: don't actually have okay. a choice but to adjudicate. It's it's a 50-50 proposition. You have to adjudicate. You, right. you, so here's you, how you can't not adjudicate
1: yeah so you you have you have to take a, like obviously if a, if a woman saying hey i want to preach or something and you have to make a decision but i'm saying you don't take a position on what the bible teaches and instead you can rely on your moral conscience oh well there's a principle of justice uh, she and a principle of autonomy she can she i've listened to her sounds like she can preach we'll let her preach that's the proper position until you learn well no actually Junia, like, you know, is, uh was a man, some people might say. It, it's Junio or whatever. Or my pastor came Maybe up with his own... Maybe he was trans.
0: Sorry? Maybe he was trans. Yeah. Just saying. I,
1: I, yeah. Uh, but the point is, yeah, you can adopt a wait and see. Don't be dogmatic on the Bible. And you can adjudicate the matter of, on the basis of your moral conscience. And
0: yeah, you know, yeah, In other words, street, when you're confused about what the Bible says, make something up. Yeah, I got it. That's no, what people you're do.
1: Making, you're yes, sure.
0: you are. You're just you're you're picking. You're flipping a coin. You're making something up until you can, you know, figure out if ever what it is.
1: Yeah, but that's what you're. That's nothing. There's nothing wrong with doing that. The Bible doesn't speak on every single thing, so we have to make. Something I would say up, that, that the vast say.
0: majority of church doctrine is made up stuff because people couldn't understand what the Bible said
1: right so here's where the pro that's fine you can you're allowed to do that but the problem becomes when you become dogmatic and say this is the way it's supposed to be if there's if there is a gray zone in the bible the answer is for the christian don't become dogmatic adopt a wait and see and in the meantime you do the best with
0: whatever Right, but I'm not, I'm not really. I'm not really interested in the, the Christians' strategy here. I'm I'm interested in the reality that the reason we have so many gray zones and the reason we have so many uh, made up doctrines is because people could not understand what the Bible was telling them. This is this is the heart of my case that I'm going to keep coming back to. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need to make up doctrines and just figure it out based on our consciences if this was comprehensible stuff.
1: In those specific areas, right? But, yeah, I mean, who, who cares? I mean, you can say that about any— like, Well, you know,
0: I, I do, because I come it, from a denomination who would have said, if your women are preaching in your churches, you're not a true church and you're going to burn in hell.
1: Yeah, so, so your church I
0: do care. stupid, right? They screwed yes, up and they were dogmatic. Yes, I agree. They, they were stupid, the same... and they screwed up, and they were dogmatic, but they were basing it on what they honestly thought the Bible said.
1: Okay, so then... They they, they,
0: they, they, they weren't basing it on just being misogynists. They, okay, they so thought I, they I were guess. obeying God to the letter. I would say yeah. that Abraham is stupid for putting his son on a... a, a Uh, pyre and getting ready to light it. That's stupid. You're going to take an order like that and not question it, not triple check it? What are you doing? What are you doing?
1: Let let me ask, because I've asked my pastor, at least he has an answer. I I think it's a, a bad answer and it's wrong. But what was your church's position on Junia, the apostle, the woman apostle? How did they, did they even know about her? Did they do their due diligence and try to see uh, the other side of the ego, egalitarian case before they became dogmatic, or did they just? Oh, they pointed to this first. This obviously means that. I assure dogmatic. you, they
0: would have been more familiar with "quote unquote" counterexamples of of their position than you.
1: So, what was it? I want to know what was what was your church's position on Junia? How did they explain
0: that? That uh, that the word apostle is a bad translation.
1: Okay, all right.
0: It, it it's like. Um, when uh uh, it's priscilla and aquila um priscilla and aquila were um teaching in their house and so this is a married couple and so Mm -hmm. one would say you see priscilla that's a woman she's teaching uh church in her house along with her husband but you could also easily say well yes it was the house of priscilla and aquila And they had church together. And it wouldn't have been improper to say they taught uh, uh, Christians in their house, only referring to Aquila as doing the teaching and Priscilla doing other uh, duties. So simply because it uses that language, it doesn't mean that Priscilla actually taught men in the church. There, There are all kinds of ways to get around these things. I mean, we had, I think, the bigger problem uh, for the church, quite frankly, was in the Old Testament when you have people like um, uh, the judge, um, the judges. Uh, who was it? Deborah was. Was she the judge? Yeah, she yeah. was the judge. Yep, um, that was a problem. That was a problem in Judaism. <laughs> so, uh, you you could you could say, well, that's an exception. Yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't have a, a real good answer for that, quite frankly. Uh, we we would just say and eh, okay exception to the rule uh, exceptional times called for exceptional measures.
1: Yeah and that was my pastor's answer. if there's no suitable man to step up, then it's okay for a woman to step up that's that's his
0: answer yeah. and also God times. makes but, the rules. But- so you know God God makes the rules that 55 is the speed limit but if he tells you to go 70 you can go 70.
1: Okay, so but yeah, so I, I find these explanations wanting. First, first of all, Jerome Jerome Murphy O'Connor. There's four different models. We know women did teach in the early church. This is historical fact. Scholars would agree with me. Um, and um, what else did I? Okay, I lost track. I was going to say something, but um,
0: well, look. I, so I don't want. I don't want to adjudicate the subject here. I'm just saying that there are. You, you asked me what we thought. Uh, you know, how we got yeah. around these problems. Yeah, yeah. It, understand, I'm not a member of that church anymore. <laughs> In fact, I wasn't a member of that church when I left the church. So uh, I obviously had a problem uh, with many of their answers. Um, the, otherwise, I'd still the be point, there.
1: The point that I'm, I'm trying to get to is it, it's not necessarily the fault of the text. And these, these Christians had a mean. But like I do think,
0: think it is the fault yeah. of the text at some level. Uh, now, I don't know that you could say that about everything all the time, but at some level, I think when there is a large degree of confusion, and you can look at the church, in the church, you know, Christendom as a whole, however you define it, is 50-50 split down the middle on what they think the Bible says and means on a particular passage, that's the text. If I write a text and half the people don't know what the heck I'm talking about, that's my fault as a writer. See, I don't, I don't know when you... I am a writer. Entirely... I can tell you that's my fault as a writer. Yeah. And, and my yeah. editors would blame me as a writer, rightfully so. <laughs> so even yeah, if they it's, published it's, it's, the work and they found that most people didn't understand what the heck I'm talking about, I would be the one on the hook for that.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I, I don't like this methodology that used, that a lot of skeptics do by just pointing out Numbers: fifty percent of Christians think that. I don't care. We don't know. The polls don't tell you their reasons for for thinking that it's okay, it's not well, necessarily. Well, they're well, we're, the text.
0: we're assuming they're, honesty out of people who are who are saying that they're confused or who think that they know what the Bible says. And if there are dishonest people, I would say that there are equally dishonest people on both sides. I think the numbers uh, we can use as a as a general look. For instance, if ninety percent of the people thought that the Bible said a particular thing, I'd say that that's a pretty strong indication that the text is probably pretty clear uh, on that subject. It's not the only factor, but I would, I would be willing to say, yeah, the, the Bible, it seems to be strongly suggesting this because that's the message that most people are picking up in that place. When you've got very important doctrinal issues and half the people are saying, no, it doesn't mean that it means this opposite thing. That's a problem with the text. That's a problem with it's, the book.
1: Yeah, but the polls aren't specific enough as to the reasons why they're saying this. Well, uh, no, I, the I polls mean, don't
0: ask, aren't. hey, are you a child of the devil? You know, no, maybe that would not. help clear it up a little bit, but I'm not entirely sure what you're trying to imply.
1: For, for, my, for my thing, they say, hey, are you confused about... I don't know what the question is, but they say what? Are, are you confused about the role of women in the church? And they'll say yes no, or no. No, or they, like
0: that. a poll is simple as is uh, is homosexuality uh, okay in the church or is it a sin uh and something that's not okay it, it's a, it's it's something yes. as simply straightforward as that these yeah, these, so that, aren't, these aren't these aren't questions that are trying to trip you're people reading up. into
1: that you're reading and all these Christians have done their due diligence they've really read the bible and they're honestly confused as opposed to just they're liberal Christians that never read the Bible in their life, or they're just being influenced.
0: Well, okay, well society if, you're argu- if your argument things. is that most Christians don't read the Bible, then I still think you have to ask, well, why aren't they reading the Bible? And it could be that they're not reading the Bible because it's a confusing mess. Yeah, but It still comes back to, to the, book. the Bible.
1: They don't know that. They're just assuming that because culture tells them, hey, the Bible's stupid. There's long genealogy. Oh, I'm not going to bother with that. No. I'm blaming myself for this. I, I've I'm reading the Bible for the second time in my life, full fully through. I mean, and I, I was a Christian before, and I, I didn't feel like getting into. That's my fault. I was not being a good Christian there. Uh, but here, here's an example that I think I can get you to agree that, at least some people, it's their fault. Hugh Ross, with he reads in his own ideas of concordism into the Genesis account. See, this predicts the. The Big Bang, do you, do you think it's a valid
0: interpretation of Genesis? That I it's, think that it's is pre- not a valid example. Hugh Ross is off his meds.
1: But it <laughs> proves it's a valid example. It proves that some people, they're responsible for their areas of no, confusion. it doesn't.
0: I think that if a person is truly oh. mentally ill, and I think that Hugh Ross truly is, and that person has a position of prominence in the church. That's also God's fault, because God could have marginalized that person so that their opinions on the Bible didn't poison so many people. This is you see, God is at the helm of all of this stuff, and He can clear it up or not clear it up. I mean, your argument that you gave earlier, um, that you know, if it's something that truly is important, God would clear it up. Well, I would argue that if it was truly important, God wouldn't let you be confused about it in the first place. So if God can magically clear it up for you, he can magically keep you from being confused about it in the first place.
1: So yeah, so so here's where, this is where Gary helped me, and Gary disagrees with my position on the inerrancy of the Bible, by the way, Um, but this is where I'm asking the fundamental question, so is there any reason a perfectly moral god like why didn't god gary will always refer to it as you know the you know this ridiculousness of the photocopier uh method of preserving the text pretend the text was in the original autograph perfect why couldn't god preserve it perfectly and that sort of thing it's the same god's to blame with this why didn't he use a photocopier method supernatural photocopier to preserve the text and i mean there's nothing ridiculous to my mind about that when we're it's not ridiculous it's a question
0: that i ask myself
1: right so here's the answer that helped me this molinistic understanding because god is trying to save as many souls as possible it could very well be the case that a world in which there are errors you know through preservation manuscript errors and that sort of thing results in more souls being saved and this is where you this
0: is where i check out I, I just check out of the room and just let you keep talking. I'll put my head back in every now and then and see if you've stopped. Because the fact of the matter is, this, this is just magic run amok at that point. And uh, in, in when you're saying, well, it's possible that a flawed copy of the Bible would be better than a perfect copy of the Bible, I am no longer able to carry on a, a reasonable, rational conversation at that point. If that's on the table, I'm out of the room. What? Okay.
1: Well, that, that's fair enough. Because that, So let me just say this, though. That is the answer that revolutionized for me because I was a strict that inerrancy. Gary Habermas
0: did true. a great disservice to the world. If he, if he gave you that idea and, and you latched onto it, that's, well, that's yeah. awful.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he didn't give me the idea about Molinism and that sort of thing, but he just challenged me, why, why is inerrancy essential? So I put in a lot of thought and branched out from there. Uh, and realize that it's not essential. There could be justified reasons. Now, now I think, let me be clear, I think the default is that we would expect a a perfectly preserved Bible. It it is weird and requires an explanation as to why it's not word for word 100% perfect. Especially Especially
0: since we both agree that it could be. Yes. Um, so that's
1: why the only justification that, that I came up with is that Molinistic one. That it could be, I mean, people come up with, well, why would that be the case? I don't have to know. I know some people say, well, if there was a perfect Bible, people would worship the Bible as opposed to God or, you know, yeah. set that up but, as an but I- another I rationale. Another like that. that I
0: wouldn't even bother responding to, I'd just walk out of the room. Because, okay. it, because um, it's crazy. It, it's just crazy. It's a person saying, oh, yeah, I'd rather have a flawed Bible than a perfect Bible. Screw you. <laughs> you. you got it, brother. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, but the point, the point the point is I, I don't I don't know what the reason is when we're talking free will with people. people are are weird um, and and do things that don't make sense. So it, it could very well be that more people are saved in a world with a flawed Bible where, where manuscript errors are in the text or, or stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know what this reminds me of,
0: this, this reminds me of, uh, Garden of Eden, um, stuff. I don't want to track it down to that level, but it, it just reminds me of the argument for why there was a serpent in the garden, because if there had not been a serpent in the garden, then Adam and Eve probably wouldn't have sinned and they would have lived happily ever after.
1: Let, let me what? ask this this
0: might be Isn't that the goal? <laughs> this <laughs> might be helpful. So with
1: with my explanation that I'm giving here, I'm not even saying necessarily that it's more probable than not. Let us say there is an error in an in an important pretend the Bible teaches Calvinism. Okay. Or something like that. Right? This okay. is this is a highly significant. It's not essential, but it's significant. If it taught uh if the Bible taught Calvinism and i think that is a moral error. Yeah, i actually think i it's, would say I think it's, it's 95. Essential.
0: I would I would disagree with you. It's not just significant, that's an essential difference. Okay, Calvinists so I... are not christians in the same way that arminians are or vice versa. They both can't be right and christian.
1: Okay, so i disagree with that, but it doesn't matter. That's not my point. The point is i put it at a 95% degree. Um, so the point is With that error, I think it's possible. It's very improbable that God could allow, Molinistically allow, an error like that um, to be in his inspired word. Um, But there's still that 5% possibility that maybe, I recognize the possibility that maybe... God,
0: by God, allowing that error in the Bible, more people would have been saved. No, I see um, this so is, once again, saved. this is where it just doesn't, I don't understand the mechanism for that line of thinking. How are more people saved if we are confused by false options?
1: Because if they didn't have it, they're, because through people's free will, people react in ways that aren't rational at times, Right you You've pointed out plenty of Christian examples of people like that. I mean, it could uh, you're just asking me to imagine any number of scenarios. I can just make up scenarios. maybe if there was a perfect Bible, people would fight for that single one they wouldn't they wouldn't dare copy it or so, or something like that and they would fight over who gets to own it and that would cause more war like I can make up any number of scenarios as to why less right. people I, and I would save. just
0: i would I would listen to you know your first ten efforts and just leave the room. Because they, none of it makes sense to me, none of it in my way of thinking, for a perfect God who hangs life and eternal life and eternal death on the words of a book, it makes no sense to not give me a perfect book, if if it's so in your a, power so to do it. Zero,
1: there's a 0% possibility in your mind that sinful human beings with free will, that it's been proven, they given their free will they choose to do very stupid things that I can't unexpected
0: speak, I can't speak for all of humanity but I can say that if I had had a perfect book I'd still be a christian the the yeah. the, the problems with the book are a major part of what took me out of it so now, maybe the maybe book. it's worth it for me to go to hell so that three others could be saved, maybe that's part of the calculus. Yeah. Screw yeah. that guy if that's his, yeah. if that's a part of his calculus. I think so. Yeah, I do think that. But
1: but also just be careful because the entire world would be different. It's not the case that all else would be equal necessarily, right? You've got to think of everything in conjunction with each other. Um, so you might be a totally different person uh, in a world where the Bible is uh, is inerrant. Um, and that sort of thing. Not again. The, well, it, what it has to be both assumes... inerrant
0: and comprehensible. So I don't. I don't want to lose sight of my argument here. Confused this thing. is this is not just a matter of inerrancy. It, the Bible. Let's say we got that perfect book where there are no errors. Part of the perfect book has to be, and it's completely comprehensible to everyone who reads it. And why not? Because if you can magic a perfect book, then you can magic a perfect understanding. Yeah. Part of the. Um, Doctrine that I would have preached way back in the day would have been, in fact, it doesn't matter what translation of the Bible you have. It, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a perfect copy or not, because it's the Holy Spirit that's interpreting that for you. It's not just you and your intellect in the Bible. That's not what's at stake. That's a good point. And so if, if any part of that is true, a perfect book theology wouldn't really help. It still has to be perfectly comprehensible, and if the Holy Spirit is not a part of helping you comprehend what the thing says, then it's no good. It is incomprehensible. In fact, I have had many preachers um, make the case that the Bible and things of Christianity—this is from Paul, by the way—are, in fact, incomprehensible to the world. They're only comprehensible through the Spirit. Now I can I can dig this passage up um if you Yeah. Need lo- it. yeah.
1: I love that um no you you're absolutely right and I'm I'm ashamed as a Christian I didn't even think of that angle. Like yeah, you're ab- a lot of this confusion is the Holy Spirit helps guide Christians into truth through the the reading the scriptures. So I mean th- this could justify why the Bible's uh, inerrant and all, or not inerrant, or that sort of thing. And again, we're just assuming it's got errors for the sake of conversation right. and that. But, sort the, of thing. but, but the errors it, wouldn't it's, matter it's if, the, if the
0: if the if the if yep. the spirit yep. part was right, it wouldn't matter what the word said. The words could all be jumbled and misspelled. It wouldn't matter. I got you. Yep. So I
1: understood that. That's where I, where I was going. But yeah, I just wanted to say yeah. That I I've completely neglected the Holy Spirit's role also helps provide clarification um, and it says this is why skeptics like you can't can't read and understand you read the same words but you just there's no spiritual understanding you have eyes to see or you know the what you can probably quote it, you have eyes to see but you no you have eyes but you see not something like that you have ears but you hear not you you have no understanding um so yeah that that could be um this is obviously part of where the confusions come in between Christians and non-Christians.
0: Right. But it doesn't uh, explain the confusions between Christians and Christians. And this is, this is well, okay. I, I will say that this is a big part of what took me out of the space because I would see Christians, not just people from different denominations, people in the same congregation, people on the same pew, mm-hmm. uh, who had similar levels of education, Having the same kinds of disagreements as um, different Christians of other de- denominations or, or Christians and non-Christians uh, over the same types of passages, and so clearly yeah. the spirit is not speaking to them equally. So I should I should uh, presume that either one of them, one of the two participants, has the spirit, or neither of the two participants has the spirit. I have no way of knowing which one of those two things it is. And if one of them has a spirit, I have no way of knowing which one of them has the spirit. Yeah. So it's still incomprehensible to me. Yeah. Uh,
1: and actually that is – because where I was going to go is say, you know, your pews, people claiming to be Christians. We have a difference on what is, how you define a Christian. I don't – just because you call yourself one doesn't uh, mean that you're a Christian. But I would say even in my own church, there are – areas where I do believe people are actually Christians but yet they they disagree they're confused so that that does happen Um, so that's where I would again just go into what I said last time that God has his reasons for allowing certain forms of confusion and that sort of thing so long as it doesn't unjustifiably hinder you from achieving your salvation um, these confusions can be useful I mean they, they can actually help i I sort of take an american type model we can have differences that's fine um maybe it's good for us to have these differences and to debate over the world uh, the word of god it it, you know here's a benefit it causes us to want to dig down and and come to deeper understandings and and appreciate you know maybe a doctrine's multifaceted and i pick up on one aspect and no this is this is what it's talking about and he said no i i picked up on another facet and then through debating and stuff like that we realize hey we're we're both right this is a multifaceted doctrine or you know there could be good that comes about from these confusions that are the- okay
0: so once yeah. again anytime you start talking about the good that comes from uh, intentional confusions i check out okay. uh, because that, that check out there the simply <laughs> there is simply no way to get through my type of mind with that type of argument uh, okay. I, I, I simply, I cannot get past the idea that I could have a perfect copy and I could have perfect understanding if God wanted it. So he must have a reason for me not having perfect understanding. Th- that's, that's something that I simply can't get past.
1: So, okay, so let's put it this way. It is a fact that there are... Biblical confusion areas, brought about by, you know, someone reading a someone who reads a King James version because there are manuscript errors. What whatever is the cause of the confusion? It's a fact that that this thing happens. People disagree over what the Bible says in certain respects. No one can deny that. Um, also, given it's a fact for Christians that Christianity is true, the Christian God is morally perfect. Um, he has the goal of saving us. He's given us divine revelation. Um, I think my answer provides a plausible, at the very least, a plausible explanation as to why this, why these two facts of reality could be as they are. And I get that you as a skeptic, you don't agree well, that... No, no, Christians no. Don't
0: say, say me it. as a skeptic and try to dismiss me. You can say me as a Christian because I, I dismiss that type of argumentation as a Christian. Okay. That, that's how I got to be a skeptic. <laughs> that's that so you can't you can't say why you, as a skeptic wouldn't accept it. I, I was a Christian when I rejected that idea,
1: yeah, um and I just, yeah, again, it comes down to I just check out when I hear. Christians like you that are so close-minded, it's got to be perfect or else. And, you know, th- this manuscript screwed up this little thing, so it's all over. That's, well, that's just Well, the,
0: the problem isn't just that the manuscript has problems. As, as we discussed earlier, the problem is God had the uh, capacity. He could have just as easily pushed a manuscript that was perfect as one with flaws. And what you're saying is he chose intentionally to give me flaws, as opposed to per- perfection. Yeah, that he didn't is have a the choice. problem.
1: Yeah, but he didn't have a choice. He, in order to save as many souls as possible, he. And I get that you don't your buy headcanon. <laughs> no, but that. Yeah, what's wrong with head cannon? It's we're allowed to. Well, yeah, we're it's, just. It's not as good
0: as head cheese. That. Head cheese, good. Head <laughs> cannon, stay away from that stuff. Okay. Well, I think. Yeah,
1: I think I've given. That is my answer. I, I hope I've explained how i come to this this i was think it. you
0: have i think that you have explained to every uh non-believer listening to this podcast why i'm right and you're wrong and i think you've convinced a few christians that I'm right and you're wrong. So I, I appreciate funny, you explaining you. it.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny how people see things differently. All the skeptics <laughs> will back you up no matter what. Um, well, all the Christians will back me up. No matter let us, what, so let,
0: I, let's see. I call upon all of the Christians uh, who were, and I know that you're out there. I know that you're lurking on the board. Some of you stick your head up from time to time. All of the Christians who agree with Dale that it's better to have a flawed Bible than a perfect Bible, come on out and support your guy.
1: <laughs> I, would, I would be, actually, um, I, I will ask uh, Joyce, because I, she is a biblical inerrantist, so she believes I'm wrong about there being errors in the Bible. Well, fair enough, but I would be interested... Can you see it at least possible, even if you think it's improbable? No, God wouldn't, very probably wouldn't do it that way. That doesn't make sense. I think David's right that it's better to have uh, an inerrant Bible than an errant one. Do you at least see a, a possibility that it might be better, Molinistically speaking, for there to be an errant Bible? Does, does it at least sound plausible? So, yeah, it, I, I would I be could
0: interested. make a case all day for why an inerrant Bible what make so much positive difference. For instance, all of the killing that goes on in the name of God, uh, and let's just say all the killing that happens in the name of God is wrong based on biblical confusions. None of that would happen with an inerrant Bible. All of the people like me who walked away from the gospel, walked away from God because the Bible uh, seemed like it was not in fact accurate because of all the flaws. We'd still be in the church. I, I can't, I can't, imagine you
1: that you're assuming all else will be equal, but for the fact that this is an errand, that's yeah, no, not the okay. way it so works.
0: with a, with a, with a perfect Bible uh the world will go to hell. All right. That just is. <laughs> it, it just, sorry, well. it doesn't be, compute.
1: It, it, it could be the case. We have no way of knowing only God knows. Let, let's make just make it, it, it a, a poll question.
0: And let's just, let's just see how people answer it. I want the Christians to come out on this one. All right. I, I actually want smart. to hear from
1: Christians yes same here but gotta be smart don't assume like what david's doing oh all else will be equal but for the fact that the bible's inerrant everything would be ratted we would be in a different logically possible world
0: that's right but it would be a world where there was a lot more truth for a lot longer Well, it it could be that
1: doing that, maybe zero people would be saved. We just have no way of knowing.
0: let's let's just leave it as the poll question. Trust our audience that they're not crazy. They understand the question. (laughs) I think you're afraid that people might understand the question. (laughs) So I think they understand the question. So, um, yeah. So Christians especially, please answer the question, do you think that we would be better off with a perfect Bible or with a flawed Bible? This is not even a question of whether you think the Bible we have right now is perfect or flawed. It's a question of which you think we would be better off with. So I would love to see your answers, and I'm just curious as to how many will come out on the side of Dale on this one. Look, our time is up. It was up a long time ago, but I'm going to go a little bit longer. This this next 20 or 30 minutes is for you, Darren. You ask for it, buddy. We got more to do now. (laughs) You ask for this. You deserve this. Do not press pause. Everyone else can press pause, go to the bathroom, get a sandwich. Darren, you sit right there and you listen to this crap for another 30 minutes. Here we go. All right. What else
1: do we possibly have to discuss
0: now? Oh, All right. Right. And and Dale, you sit there and listen to this crap too. So. Okay. We <laughs> got no choice. You can't go away. <laughs> hey CJ, um, can
1: you take over again?
0: Oh please, please, go on, go <laughs> please, CJ, tag in. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, right, I'll so tag Andrew in, in. So, so um, Matthew. 27. So I, I feel like I have actually already made my case. I don't have to go any further to make my case, but I've prepared some more material and I'm going to use it, damn it. <laughs> so um, because there's one particular quote from N.T. Wright uh, I want to get to. So okay. I use Matthew 27 as an example because it's just a really fun chapter, you know, as, as far as uh, chapters of literature. It's still one of my favorite chapters because it's so crazy uh, in so many ways. It's got uh, five elements in that chapter. Uh, in the latter part of that chapter, starting at verse forty-five, so when Jesus dies, things really start to happen. Uh, so there's there's a lot of action here that you don't see in in uh, other other places. So the first thing that happens is darkness takes over the entire region. Now, this sounds like just a regional thing. So some people call it an eclipse, but I don't actually think that the Bible is describing an eclipse. Uh, it's, it's describing some kind of miraculous darkness that happens over this space for three hours. Um, the second thing that happens is the temple curtain rips in half. So the temple curtain is very thick uh, sturdy piece of cloth and it separates the holy of holies from the from everything else. It ta- it it tears into from top to bottom. The third thing that happens is there's an earthquake where the rocks it doesn't just say the rocks fall. The rocks split open. I mean this is so this is some kind of quake. In fact, I'm not even sure that earthquake is used. I mean, the the, the earth just starts to break apart in a way that seems a, a little bit um, strange uh, In the considering the way we talk about earthquakes. This, this seems to be something even more special than that. The fourth thing that happens, the uh, resurrected saints uh, come out of the graves and, uh, <laughs> if this is to be read literally, they, they wake up and they stand around in or near their graves, but they go walking around the city after Jesus rises. But at the time of his death, they're stirred from their graves. Um, And then the fifth thing that happens is that the soldiers who just killed uh, Jesus, one of them says, you know, surely this was the son of God. I I include that in this list uh, for reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, So they wouldn't have seen the people rising up in their graves. They wouldn't uh, have—they weren't impressed with the darkness because that had already happened. Um, They wouldn't have known about the uh, curtain ripping. And so the only thing they could have known about was this earthquake, this uh, this little— local earthquake. But it doesn't actually matter because as I pointed out earlier, there's nobody around to hear this. So my question to Dale, as I mentioned all five of these things, and and maybe we can just take them with a yes, no, I know that you're not going to give me something as simple and satisfying as a yes, no. But my, my question for all of these is, do you know which Matthew had in mind? Was he trying to say literal things about literal events or was he using figurative language for each of these events? So I just want to go through each of them and I want you to give me a literal or figurative the darkness.
1: Yeah. So, so first of all, let me just say in general, so I take Mike Lacona's view that this is apocalyptic. This is an apocalyptic genre. Um, as to whether there's some kind of mixture, um, that could be true. I mean, apocalyptic drama could take uh, real events and then, you know, use other events that aren't literal and that sort of thing and expand. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a little bit unfair in advance because I I David didn't tell me he was going to do this, so I just want this you to is know true. It. I, I did not tell research.
0: him this was the pre-show uh, that I sprung it on him, but I still don't think it takes a lot of advance to know whether you think it, what you think the Bible says on it. I'm not even asking Dale if these events actually happened. I'm asking Dale if he has a good handle on whether Matthew meant them to be literal or fig- figurative. That's okay, all. So the that's darkness. Not okay. literal, literal or figurative? I think it's uh, literal. Okay. It, the it, the, it the curtain torn from top to bottom. Literal or figurative?
1: Okay. And with the first one, the there's reasons outside of the Bible why I'm saying that. Um, okay. I
0: don't okay. care about the reasons. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, what I care about is Matthew's intent, what you think Matthew's intent was. I'm not, once again, not asking about historicity.
1: Matthew's did Matthew intent?
0: did Matthew mean to be writing something literal or was he just speaking figuratively? It's all I'm asking. Okay.
1: So, then, so then I changed my, I don't know.
0: Okay, the curtain, ripped uh, from top to bottom. Literal or I figurative?
1: I don't think that's literal. I think We're that's... We're going to go
0: with a no. Earthquake, literal or, uh, or figurative?
1: Uh, again, in terms of Matthew's intent, I don't know. Um, okay,
0: fair. That's a, I don't know it's a fair answer. Resurrections. I think I know your answer here, literal no. or figurative. No. no, this is a solid no. This is not a. I don't know. This is not a. No, we're not hedging any bets here. The soldiers saying, "Surely this is Son of God," literal or figurative.
1: Um. Yeah. I think. I think that would be. A slight no. Yeah. So more more probable than not, it's a no. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. So. Um, fair enough. Your answers are not that dissimilar from lots of other answers out there. There is, there is a muddy mixture of all the possible answers given by scholars. So if you just listen to scholars talk about Matthew 27, some of them, it's all literal, some of them, it's all figurative, some of them, you know, this thing is literal, this thing is figurative, and every, every combination out there, you will get that. This is not even a question of whether these things actually happened. This is just, what is, what is Matthew trying to tell us? And the, the answer from all of this, from, from all of my interrogation of Matthew 27 over the years, is that nobody knows. Nobody knows. So this is a statement from N.T. Wright. Uh, it's a longish statement, but I will, I will conclude my argument with this. So bear with me while I read. Hmm. It is impossible... And for our purposes, unnecessary to adjudicate on the question of historicity, things that we are told by one source only, he's, he's talking about Matthew 27, by the way, things that we're told by one source only, when in other respects, the sources are parallel, may be suspect, especially... Uh, when events like earthquakes were, uh, as 24-7, makes clear part of a stock and trade of apocalyptic expectation. But it remains the case that the events Matthew describes in Matthew 27, 51 through 53, that's with the temple uh, ripping and the resurrections and so forth, as well as being without parallel in other early Christian sources are without precedent in Second Temple expectation, and we may doubt whether stories such uh, as this would have been invented simply to fulfill prophecies that nobody had understood this way before. This is hardly a satisfactory conclusion, but it is better to remain puzzled than to settle for either a difficult argument for possible historicity, or a cheap and cheerful, rationalistic dismissal of the possibility. Mm. Some stories are so odd that they may just have happened. This may be one of them, but in historical terms, there is no way of finding out. I would argue that this long, somewhat rambling statement could be made about just about every truth claim uh, and story and magical event in the Bible. That's being generous. My non-generous uh, response is, no, the Bible is BSC. But mm-hmm. being generous, using one of the most respected scholars in Christianity, who <laughs> would say, you know what? We can't possibly and know.
1: And I'll just back up. Mike Lacona has said the exact same thing, right? That there's no indications in the... Now, he, he has his arguments. He, take, he doesn't stay in the middle, like, and he writes... Um, he he has his opinion as apocalyptic, but he said he admitted there was nothing, no indications in the text that could prove that his interpretation is right versus a literal one. And I I, I found that interesting. I didn't think he, you know, I, I didn't know he would say that. So yeah, let let's pretend this is one of those areas that you're you're correct on, and he right is right. We, there's nothing in the text that we can adjudicate and be dogmatic either way. Okay, I mean as mike said who cares and and i'm i'm taking the same position i mean it, i'm not going to it's not going to affect or hinder me being saved whether i believe zombies were rising or yeah, if, if you're mike
0: Latona it might affect whether you're employed and get your next paycheck so uh, it uh, who cares is yeah. a little bit of a casual uh, dismissal of this okay that's fair yeah so sorry uh,
1: uh, so there are important Um, considerations to this on an earthly level but in terms of the most important thing achieving your salvation on that front i would say who cares let me
0: tell you why it's important there i'm glad that you ask so it's important there for the same reason that i think santa claus stories are important Uh, important in a negative way you see when you tell children sorry about the noise that you're that you're hearing on the podcast people just adjusting my mic when you tell when you tell children santa claus stories and you tell them other stories alongside it like jesus stories and they come to find out that the santa claus stories are untrue and that you were lying about the whole thing then it brings the jesus stories into question as well so you've got to work that much harder to make those stick so in the same way, in this same chapter, we've got five events, four of them supernatural, the other one where the soldiers are saying, oh, this must be, uh, must be God here, uh, where no one could have possibly heard them. Uh, you know, So I, I would still in, include that uh, in this list. These stories are told to amp up the veracity of the main story that Jesus died and rose from the grave. You've got five stories surrounding this that are that are possibly Santa Claus stories. Five opportunities where people reading this literally would say, oh, well, no, that didn't happen. Oh, oh, well, that one didn't happen either. Oh, no, well, it looks like that one didn't happen. So at some point, they have a right to question the main story of, of this death and resurrection. Why should they believe that if everything else surrounding the story is fiction?
1: Because they have evidence for those events. I,
0: different podcast, different, different story. Yeah. I have any evidence. <laughs> so I, I, I understand why you want to go there. But the fact of the matter is if they have reason to believe that this is a lie that they have been lied to, then it absolutely uh, puts weight on the main story of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, uh, once again, I don't think that you can just casually dismiss this as as you know so what
1: let let me well, for the purposes of salvation, I think you can, but let let me say this it's something um I wanted to clarify about like I explained my overriding arguments as to when, as a Christian, I will um you know when when else, like with the Calvinism, the more significant. Uh, a doctrine is, uh, in terms of achieving salvation and not causing undue confusion, the hard, that's the bur- the burden of proof that the skeptic has to meet before I'll say yeah that's an error. So, um, you know what I mean. So, however, if once you establish on a, on a comparable significance level that there is an error pretend i'm i'm convinced that there is actually an error on the doctrine of hell or you know something that's an important theological doctrine um, then i would then the burden of proof to prove that there's actually an error goes back down to well there's already been one so now you just now I just go on a balance of probabilities if, if there's reason to think this is this other doc, important doctrinal error is an error and it's 51%, that's all you have to meet. So it's not like for each error in each class, significance class has to meet that burden of proof before I'll take it. If you can establish one at that level, then i just go back to deciding on a balance of probabilities. I uh, um, I don't know if that... Well, this clarifies. is kind of
0: I, argument that I was trying to make earlier, except so it's slightly different, I, I grant that, but when you were talking about contradictions on, on insignificant matters. Well, but it still matters because if I've got errors here, that increases the possibility that some of these other things uh, are errors. Yeah. And so uh, you, you can't, there are no insignificant errors in what should be a perfect book. So the part of this is coming at it uh, with, if you, if you are an inerrantist and you run into errors, you have a problem. But even if you're an errantist, the number and type of errors you run into become a problem. And they, they increase the the possibility that things that you care about could be errors. So, for instance, the the, the whole resurrection thing, for, for you Christians who try to boil everything down to the resurrection of Jesus, and you want to say, well, nothing else matters except the resurrection of Jesus. Great. But things that... Are ancillary. I'm I'm sorry. Let me let me pause for just a moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, So things that are ancillary uh, to the resurrection um, are still important because they touch on the resurrection. They they you know they may not be the garment, but they're the hem of the garment. The, The garment starts to fray. Uh, a, a little bit and so it, it it is kind of important and so you can say well what does it matter if if it got dark or not well this darkness was given to prove that the resurrection of Jesus happened and the reason I don't allow Christians to just dismiss the whole zombie uprising thing even though I use it to make fun of them and they know it um, they want to dismiss it and get away from it as, as quickly as they can. What this is really saying is that the general resurrection has started. I think it's very clear that Matthew thought that the general resurrection had begun. And so this is one sign that the general resurrection has begun. So, so the the resurrection of these saints is just as important as the resurrection of Jesus. It's 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 not a minor thing, and you can't just say, well... Resurrection of Jesus happened, but these other resurrections didn't happen. You kind of have to change your theology a little bit to make that work.
1: Well, yeah, I get. I, in, in terms of Matthew, it makes perfect sense. See, that is what he thought. That's not a problem at all. These are examples of the first fruits. It's it's like Jesus doing advanced miracles during his ministry is signaling,
0: hey, the messianic era has arrived. Right, but if those if those miracles didn't happen. Then the messianic era has not arrived.
1: No, it's not that it's necessary that the saints. Ro- I mean, Lazarus rose from the dead. Or resur- that recess- was never. That yeah. was
0: never a part of this idea of the resurrection of Jesus and the, the general resurrection, though. That was a very special resurrection, like the ones that happened in the Old Testament.
1: So it was not the general resurrection, and literally, I mean, that's obvious. Matthew knew that not the day of judgment didn't arrive back. You know, forty years prior. I mean, he was there,
0: right? But he was saying that the time for the, you know, this is this is one kind of flood of examples of people being raised, and others would soon follow. So, it it was the beginning of the general resurrection.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Right, but in what I'm,
0: well, it is a problem though, because if it didn't happen, then it. Then we have no reason to believe that Mat- Matthew's story of Jesus' resurrection. Now, you might say, well, never mind Matthew's story, we'll look at Mark's story or we'll look at uh, John's story. But, but, but Matthew, kind of th- at the very least, has disqualified himself.
1: Okay, so, so let me, with these insular, let, let me just try and clarify that. And so let, let's say I categorize into classes various confusions or errors, like any negative evidence against the Bible kind of things. So let, let's say there's an error or a confusion that I classify, nine. I give that a 95% level of significance, right? Things like that are like the doctrine of hell, if there's an error in there, a provable error in there, or if there's a moral commandment that is immoral, provably immoral. Um, if you could prove that, then I would be 95% convinced that You know in isolation shows christianity is false um so in order to prove that though but because i have a separate i have my argument my overriding argument i know christianity is true and god would not allow undue confusion in order to get me as a christian knowing in the context of knowing christianity is true overall um, based on the positive and negative evidences you you have to before I as a Christian would say yep there's a there's an error that's probably an error um, you need to prove 95.01 percent or more that this is in fact an error now wh- where I'm backing you up let's say you've done that and I'm like well, geez I, I guess there is there are moral errors in the bio- this commandment here that's an error I don't I don't believe I'm not going to follow that the Bible screwed up there um, at that point in terms of increasing possibility not probability necessarily but yeah that my overriding argument would be defeated because obviously God does allow those types of errors at which point I go back to agnosticism and I I don't live dogmatically about this. I follow my moral conscience on a balance of probabilities and I use that to adjudicate is this moral command good or is this moral command not good on a balance of probability? So the burden of proof for the skeptic is, uh, is less high. Once they've proven that instance and defeated my overriding argument, then it goes back down to a balance of probability. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm making sense or – is that coming through to you? Uh,
0: sure. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't – it doesn't resonate with me, though.
1: OK, because I thought it would, because that's what you're taught when you're talking about increasing possibility. You're saying, look, if there's been one provable error, uh, then this has an impact on how how you read other things within that similar class. Well, what about other moral commandments or what about other important but secondary uh, doctrine, important theological doctrines? Like what about if if hell's got an error in it? What does that mean for the doctrine of heaven as taught in the yes, Bible? Yes.
0: Okay. So I, I may have I may have um, I may have misheard you the first time. I I apologize. So um, cool. ye- yeah, I just wanted to see. Y- yes. So sec- look, secondary and tertiary doctrines. Uh, so let's say that you know the primary doctrines are the ones that uh, you would uh, qualify as salvific. But the Bible isn't just uh, one chapter of salvific ideas. The, right. the Bible is 66 books. Now, where I come from, we would have said every word is important. And you, you don't get to cherry pick and say only these few are important. So we would, we would have disagreed, actually, with the idea of categorizing important doctrines from unimportant doctrines. Okay. It, yeah. if, if it's the Bible, if it's, God, if it's God-breathed, uh, then it's important uh, that, that uh, passage in Timothy doesn't say some scriptures are profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction of righteousness. It says all of them, right? All of them. That's, and so, if, yeah. if if you're going to buy into that idea, you may not understand how you know chapter six of Second Kings matters. You you may not understand yeah. it, but you have by faith you believe that it matters. And so by faith, you can't just dismiss it as unimportant.
1: And I I actually agree. Like, that's why I went into the, uh, the Bible does teach that inspiration is plenary. It applies to all scripture. And I believe that, including, so it's kind of radical. I'm I'm saying even if there's errors, pretend even in the original autographs, which I think there are a couple of, of those. I don't think you can get out of it by saying, oh, well, it's just a manuscript error or something. I think there are actually errors in the original autographs as well. Those errors are inspired. The, it's, it's a radical position. That's where my Molinistic answer comes in. But So, yeah, I'm not getting off the hook. I do believe all the, the words are inspired. It's verbal down to the very words. That's the depth. Uh, and it's all of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So, yeah, I, right, I do
0: it. I mean, I would say that the, the God's war doctrines that he gave to his soldiers is as important as the resurrection. I, I know that you wouldn't necessarily have, agree with that.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I wouldn't agree on but the significance.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree that it is equally significant from a biblical perspective of all scripture being profitable for doctrine, instruction, and righteousness. It doesn't say especially the Gospels, you know, especially stuff that's directly about Jesus, because frankly, so one part of the problem is that all Scripture is supposed to be pointing to Jesus. So part of the Christian story is all Scripture is about Jesus um, in in some way or another, uh, and all of it points to Jesus about some way or another. So it is all, to some degree, uh, secondary and tertiary Scripture about Jesus, uh, and when you get you know when you look at God's orders in war what you are getting is the character of Jesus who is God sure yeah so you you can't say well we're going to divorce that from Jesus resurrection because at some point it doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead if he's evil so you you can't you can't have confusion about the the character um, and and morality of God and yet have a coherent religion simply because uh, a man rose that, okay, that, yeah, that so doesn't I, I, that doesn't overcome all of the other stuff
1: okay so yeah so fair enough so we're at almost at three and a half hours now so I'll, excellent I'll, I'll end yep i'll i'll just give my final statement in general then um so okay, i think we've we'll, had a good, we'll
0: consider this the last the last word so before you give that let me just give my last word just a reminder to the people so we rambled a little bit about uh, some things my overall argument is first i personally do not understand the bible you can't actually argue with me against that right so i don't understand the bible secondarily you don't understand the bible either and if you think you do i think you're delusional um, so uh, come at me bro um and, okay. <laughs> and and third and third we can't understand the Bible because because of certain aspects of it that I've discussed. There there's simply no way to know what the author means at any given point. And if it were simply a matter of us saying, well, all of this is allegory, that would be one thing. But we can't even tell when the author is being serious or, or not serious or fi- figurative or literal, because we are dealing with people whose worldview conjures up a God that can literally do anything. He literally could stop the sun from moving. <laughs> you know, even if you say, well, the sun doesn't move. now it doesn't matter. He can literally do that. He can literally create a world in six days. So uh, all of your science, none of that actually means anything. Uh, When you've got a story that seems to say that the universe was created in six days, you can't say, ah, well, that's, you know, that's not how the world works. For this God, it's absolutely how the world works. Um, You know, and so you can't say, well, you know, these things in Matthew 27 didn't happen. And T. Wright says, you know, the story is so crazy, it might be true. (laughs) So there's so I am suggesting you can't know. There are just too many things you can't know and that, uh, at the end of the day, is my case number two for why we should stop taking the Bible seriously. Dale, take a second.
1: Right. Perfect. So, so yeah, um, you know, I wanted to give uh, my take on what inspiration means, uh, what the Christian is accountable for, account um, to give a justification for, if there are any confusions and that sort of thing. I wanted to contextualize Um you know the the different there's different types of confusion. Only a certain type, undue confusion can be uh, can ascribe blame to God. Um there are different forms of confusion that I think can the person can be blamed for that. Um, or, you know, whatever Molinistic answer that I'm proposing just as a defeater, uh, I'm not claiming that I know with certainty that, uh, you know, having an errant Bible would save more souls, I have no, no clue. I'm just saying, well, what if this, this sounds possible? I mean, I, I even agree with the skeptics on a balance of probabilities in isolation that this argument, uh, I think it's more probable than not that Christianity is false, given some, some of the examples of confusion in the Bible. Uh, I do think there are some, probably some areas of undue confusion in there. Um, obviously, as a Christian, in light of all the evidence, I don't believe that. I think I've somehow misassessed the evidence, and it's it's on me. Actually, God can't allow him to do confusion, so you know I, I need to do a little bit more research on, on those areas, or I'll find out when I die. I can ask God, and He can tell me. Either way, uh, God has allowed hasn't unjustifiably hindered me from achieving salvation. I could, any areas of confusion or doubt I can remain agnostic on and and open to learning the truth at a future point so yeah thank you hope you guys enjoyed the show
0: yep and uh, next week we do not have a special guest and so we will be going into part
1: yes you do you have me I'm always a special guest right
0: Oh yeah you're very special <laughs> um, son we... of a guy <laughs> 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 you do walk right into the stuff um I do. <laughs> part is it part, of, part uh, two of your series
1: yeah of the coherence on theism um so i know you i was going to put in i'll try to put in 3 but with the with this we're being more strict on the doing 1000 words I, I might need to just do 2 um yeah i'll i'll try if i if i can squeeze in 3 cuz there's one that's related um. Uh, so it's that's going to be on omnipresence, which was originally part of uh, part one. Uh, I'm also going to do God uh, as a necessary being. And I'm going to try to squeeze in God's aseity. Uh, there's a lot with that. So if I can't, then it'll just be necessity and omnipresence, um, but possibly aseity. So that's the plan for next week. Okie
0: dokie. God is necessary. God is omnipresent. And God is God. a a so is like it, it's say-y. like everything. Say, No, say-y.
1: a a, like the letter a, a and then a. Are you being stupid or do you want me to spell <laughs> it? <laughs> I can't tell if you're actually this. <laughs> it's wrong, it's is gonna that?
0: be, it's gonna be a rough week next week, folks. <laughs> gonna,
1: sorry, well, but yeah, but it's. I, I don't know why you're saying that if it's if it's aseity is very complicated so i'll do my yes. best <laughs> it, and yeah i'll yeah. do my best to explain it so yeah
0: <laughs> i'm just preparing them for for deep levels of jaw-dropping drooling confusion that they will be in for next week
1: <laughs> yeah if if the satie is there then uh good luck guys um but it's on me if i if I'm not clear that I'm a bad teacher, so... Which is exactly what
0: I said about the Bible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so have a good week, everyone.
0: Ciao. All right, bye-bye.